The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Hello and happy Easter. This is Q of the MJ Cast. Thank you for joining us again. Today's re record date is the 24th of March 2016 and today we have a a big show with big news and a few big names on this episode I am of course joined by my co-host Jamin. Jamin hello and happy Easter to you. Happy school holidays to you. Oh it's uh, a really exciting time for teachers all around Australia and the world because yes we get two weeks off to relax (laughs) and recover after term one. (laughs) Lord knows you've earned it. We are also <laughs> joined today by a friend of the show, author of Escape Origins and awesome mate of ours, Damien Shields. Damien, welcome back to the show. Hola, thank you. You're welcome. It's so great to have you with us. We're also going to be uh, hearing from our web assistant, Jacob Rathjen. We're also going to hear from Charles Thompson today. And also we have... A conversation with author of The Trials of Michael Jackson from 2006, Linton Guest. So I guess today's show will also feature some news after our main discussion point. So the main discussion today, of course, which you are all super keen to hear, we've heard from your Facebook comments and tweets how much you want to hear from us about our opinions on the Michael Jackson Sony ATV catalog sale and we are going to start that today and later on in the show we will have some other news headlines which will be focusing on the thriller studio tour for 2016 the brad sunderberg mju multi-day seminar we've got janet jackson news we've got a leak from ghosts again and some bubbles the chimp film news jermaine and latoya headlines And that will be your episode for Easter of the MJ cast. Yeah, it's a really exciting one. I I wonder how our listeners are going to go, though, because they're going to have so many Australian accents all on the one show. That's going to be confusing. They're not going to be able to tell any of us apart. Well, we really are three different people. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a dork. One, two, three. Yes, three people it is today. My joke actually worked that time. Yay. You have to explain why it didn't work last time, Jamin. You can't escape the, you can't escape the embarrassment just because we've re-recorded okay. this episode. Well, 
Sorry. Fill the listeners in. Let them understand why you're laughing at yourself. Well, obviously, it's our re-record for this episode. We've actually recorded the entire episode once before. We've chosen to do it again. Yeah, uh, audio and some updated news and stuff. <laughs> in the first record, we um, I used that joke, but I accidentally said we really are three different people when there were actually four people on the show, and I made a total fool of myself because of my horrible math skills. <laughs> that's okay because you're a history teacher. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Damien, hello. Where have you been? I've kind of been on hiatus a little bit. I still am, really. Just came out of my little cave to join you guys on the show today. I'll just go back in there once we're done. <laughs> well, we're very grateful for you joining us. Thank you so much. So, what have you been up to? Well, obviously, I've been on a little bit of a social media hiatus, which has been really nice and refreshing. And I've just been living a little bit more of a normal life than I had been before. I think um, not, not that it was problematic but because I, you know, I really enjoy doing it, but I think Michael Jackson was kind of dominating my life a little bit too much in a sense of constantly researching and writing and, and putting up articles on my website and the book and all of that. And I just really wanted to dial it all back and, and, and get off the internet and get off my computer and go out and see some sunshine and see some friends and, and also make my relationship with Michael Jackson a more personal one because I kind of felt that I'd been sharing it with the world and it had been kind of tainting it a little bit. Uh, I wanted to just bring it back and personalise it a little bit and it's been really beautiful. I've been able to almost kind of rediscover Michael Jackson all over again and just fall in love with his art and not have to analyse it, not have to research it, not have to write about it and talk about it and share my opinions. And I can just, you know, listen in the car and sing along and dance and not think about it, just love it. And it's been been really good. So you've been productive? I haven't, no, I haven't really been all that productive recently. Probably the last nine months I've been completely unproductive, but that's only unproductive in the sense that I haven't been writing, I haven't been, you know, putting in long hours researching and things like that. I've been productive in my my regular life, and I've awesome. been quite, you know, working on being happy and and uh, and being healthy and those kind of things, which sometimes were a little bit sacrificed with, you know, the the endless hours of sitting behind my computer that I was doing before. But I'm getting back to productivity, so I'm beginning to dip my toe back into some of the projects that have been put on hold, most notably the book that will talk about the, um, the, the Casio tracks and the, the Michael album and that whole thing. Um, that's still very much a work in progress. It's never been cancelled. A lot of people have asked or wondered what's going on with that. Um, it's still happening. It's still a priority. It's just been put on hold for the reasons I explained, just so I could get back a little bit of normality for a while. Because when I do work on a project like that, it literally takes over my whole entire world. So I wanted to kind of recharge my batteries and just be fresh and healthy and happy and in a good place. So when I do reapproach that project with all of my heart, it gets everything it needs from me. And if I can't do it like that, I'm not going to do it at all. So yeah, that's heading in that direction to throwing myself back in that pool again really excited about it um i can't wait for the fans to hear some of the stuff that i've found over the last five years it's been a pretty exhaustive investigative process it's practically finished now i just need to go and put the thousands of pieces of that puzzle together and and find a way to explain it in a way that everyone can understand and and be entertained by and be educated by and yeah so that's me 
I think our listeners would like to know as well, just a bit of an update on how your last major project's gone. So Escape Origins obviously was a, an amazing uh, book that you wrote recently on some of Michael Jackson's recording efforts, especially the ones that, that ended up being on that recent Escape album that Sony uh, put out. How did, how did that project go? Uh, yeah, well, it was, a, it was a, I would say it was a moderate success. I was very happy with the reception that fans gave it. I was, um, I was pleased that um, a lot of the, the, the fans had enjoyed reading it, had learned something, uh, and that's the whole point of it, really. You don't go to all that effort to, to dig up all those little nuggets of information and put them all together for any other reason than you want the entire world to be able to have access to it. So, yeah, if, if people were responding well to it, then that, that made me happy. There's a, probably going to be a couple of very small, not so small, developments with the Escape Origins project that are going to come in the next few months. I won't say too much about them, but um, we're basically going to try and reintroduce that information to different different cultures and different languages. But I won't go into too much detail and say which languages and how it's going to be presented, but it's going to be a maybe like one last little push um, <laughs> to get it as far and wide as we possibly can for the, for the book and the information uh, about Michael's artistry and his creative process to reach as many corners of the globe as possible because that's what he aimed to do with his artistry and that's what he did with his artistry. So I feel it's only fair that we can do our very best to try and get that information to as many of the people who loved his music into as many of their hands as possible in a way that they can engage with it because not everyone speaks English. So we really have to be mindful of that and try and cater to those people as best we can. So, yeah, expect some announcements on that. Not so soon and I'm not on a deadline and I'm not going to hold myself to get it done quickly, but it is coming. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that in the next few months maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Of course, um, <laughs> maybe. Of, course, of course, Escape Origins is still for sale. Where can people find Escape Origins? Because we've got a lot of uh, new listeners since uh, you appeared on the show to talk about the book. Okay. Well, you can get Escape Origins at escapeorigins.com or you can find it on iBooks, Amazon, Google Play, and I'm not sure if it's anywhere else. But I prefer not to plug too much, so I'll just say that. Just the That's regular cool. places. That's the regular cool. places you can get books. <laughs> we can do that for you. It's an awesome book. Go buy it. <laughs> it is. It was Thanks. a terrific read. Thank you. <laughs> well, all the credit really has to go to the people that contributed to it. I really didn't do much. I literally just wrote it. It, it was all without <laughs> without without the contributions of all of the people that Michael worked with. It would have just been me and a keyboard and no words because they really provided the entire body of content. But that, that's, that's what makes it so good and so exciting is that when you're reading it, you're learning about Michael in the studio from directly from the people that worked with him because it's full of quotes from, from those amazing collaborators. Well, I wrote that in the preface of the book that the point of doing it like that was for the people who were there and who can speak with authority on the issues that are being addressed in the book, for them to tell the story because who am I? I'm really, I'm just a fan just like you guys, just like all the fans. We're not just fans, we're all equal and we're all great and we're all wonderful, but we weren't there. We can't really talk as if we know anything. All we can do is pass on information that somebody who was there and does know told us. And that's what I tried to do is present a big platter, a plethora, a big serving of quotes that other people had provided to me and I didn't want to keep them just for myself. That would be greedy. So we share, we give them to the world and hopefully people enjoy them. Absolutely. So if um, any of our new listeners 
haven't gone and uh, listened to some of our episodes from last year, uh, back in May, late May last year, I think it was, we uh, spoke to Damien on episode eight, where we had a, an Escape Origins special. So if you want to learn all about the book, how Damien put the book together, then head back to episode number eight. It is a great listen. So thank you for that, Damien, for that update. Jamin, no you've been me. super, super busy this month, and I hope that you are going to be relaxing uh, over your school holidays. Yeah, I sure will be. I've been really busy, actually, the last month. I got sort of like a temporary promotion at my job. I've been uh, filling in for a guy who uh, went away for a month from, from school. I've been an acting deputy principal, and it's been a crazy whirlwind of an experience and lots of new things to learn and do at school, but it's been so much fun, very, very challenging, but extremely rewarding at the same time. So I want to send a, an apology to our listeners because I haven't been very active on Twitter or anything like that for the past four weeks. I've been super busy, but I'm, I'm back in the saddle. I got a, I got a couple of weeks off school, so going to be focusing very, very much on relaxing, but also getting back on social media and interacting. So yeah. Hey, what have you been doing? Same, same, but different. Just <laughs> working, working, working. Got to catch up with a mate in um, Brisbane last night that I have known since I was a little boy. We went to like primary school together, grew up together. And yeah, it was awesome to catch up with him last night and hear how his family's doing and stuff. It was actually um, the friend Ben that um, I took to the history show in oh, Brisbane back in 1996. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I saw him like um, last year as well, but it was yeah first time this year that I've been able to catch up with him. So that's really cool. But yeah, other than that, just working. I've somehow managed to get Easter weekend off work. I didn't ask for it, but it seems to have just happened. So that's nice. So yeah, I decorated the house for Easter for the first time. So that was oh cool. awesome. Hopefully, we've got some pics up on Twitter to see your Easter decorations. <laughs> if someone wants to see, <laughs> they can ask and I'll share it. <laughs> but yeah, I got my first Easter tree, so that was pretty cool. An Easter tree. An Easter tree. <laughs> I've never heard of this. Well. I'm not allowed to keep the Christmas tree up all year round. It's not. It's it's like a little tree. I got it from like Pottery Barn, and it's just like a little table topper tree. And yeah, it's got Easter. What do you like? Ha- so you like hang eggs on it? Like what do you? Yeah, you can buy Easter decorations from like um, cheap oh, shops. Okay. Like over here we've got budget shops like Red Dot and Reject Shop. Coles have some pretty good decorations. How different are Easter decorations to Christmas decorations? Well, it's not a ball. It's like an egg shape. Okay. But there's still glitter, which is annoying because you get glitter everywhere. Q, I'm pretty sure we need to see an image of this on our Instagram account. I've never um, heard of an Easter tree n- before. N- it's, it's, <laughs> I've got to see this thing. Like, <laughs> Why not celebrate? <laughs> All right, I'll put a post up on Insta. Awesome. Cool. <laughs> hashtag Easter tree. It's going to be like, if you search that picture. hashtag, exactly. There'll be one picture on that hashtag. <laughs> yeah, no one except for Q's. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's tucked away in the library. There's other decorations in the house. So, main discussion topic. We're doing that at the start today. Top news item and big discussion topic. Yeah, the episode's a bit reversed, this one. So, obviously, you know, we usually do news, all the different news at the start, but there's been something so big happen within the last two weeks that we, we couldn't help it but uh, put that main topic right at the start of the show. Uh, as as everybody, I'm sure, has has uh, been a, been made aware of, Sony Music has acquired the Michael Jackson Estate's share of the Sony ATV catalog for seven hundred and fifty million dollars. 
Yeah, it's uh, obviously been a piece of news that's received very mixed responses, mixed reactions in the fan community with emotions really running high. Very high. So, yeah, it's been, uh, I guess, a big headline all around the world. Like a lot of uh, publications have picked up on it and obviously huge, huge ripples through the fan community. Um, So what we might do is we're going to listen to a little submission from Charles Thompson, multi-award winning court reporter, feature writer and investigative reporter. He's going to give you a little summary of the uh, history of the catalogue and the sale. Legend has it that in the early 1980s, while recording their duet Say Say Say, Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney had a discussion during dinner about music publishing. McCartney supposedly told Jackson about all the songs he'd acquired the publishing for and advised Jackson to invest in publishing himself. Jackson reportedly told McCartney, One day, I'm going to buy your songs. Good joke, McCartney reportedly replied. In 1984, a music publishing catalogue known as ATV was put up for sale. Jackson, who'd since begun investing in publishing, was reportedly informed of the impending sale by his lawyer, John Branker. The catalogue included music by artists including Chuck Berry, Barry White and The Kinks, and also included Northern Songs, the Lennon-McCartney catalogue, hence why it's since become popularly known as the Beatles catalogue. The story goes that Jackson checked with McCartney's lawyer whether he planned to bid on the ATV catalogue, and was told that McCartney wasn't interested because it was, quote, too pricey. Bert Reuter, who negotiated the sale, later confirmed publicly that McCartney had been given the first right of refusal on the catalogue but said he didn't want to buy it. Jackson participated in the auction and won the catalogue, paying $47.5 million. As part of the deal, he had the owners, Accord, create a scholarship in his name at a university to help underprivileged kids get a good education. Paul McCartney would later claim he was unhappy with the sale, while Yoko Ono said that Michael Jackson's ownership was a blessing. In 1995, Sony paid Michael Jackson $90 million to merge the ATV catalogue with its own publishing, giving each party 50% ownership of the other's catalogues. The sale made Michael Jackson one of Sony's biggest shareholders, and arguably the most powerful black man in the history of the music business. By the early 2000s, it was widely reported that Michael Jackson was experiencing financial difficulties and had accumulated significant debts. While his debts were dwarfed by the value of his assets, particularly his stake in the music publishing catalogue, the collapse of the music industry due to piracy made it difficult to see how, short of an enormous tour, which Jackson did not want to go on, he could possibly get back in the black without selling his share in the publishing company. However, in 2001 he issued a statement saying, The Beatles catalogue is not for sale, has never been for sale, and will never be for sale. But in the final decade of his life, Jackson became convinced that the catalogue he'd refused to sell was the cause of all of his ills. In 2002, whilst embroiled in a public dispute with Sony about what he alleged was a deliberate failure to promote his album Invincible, Jackson said the catalogue was behind the sabotage. He said, I'm leaving Sony a free agent, owning half of Sony. I own half of Sony's publishing and I'm leaving them and they're very angry at me, because I just did good business so the way they get revenge is to try and destroy my album. Jackson became convinced that the catalogue was the root cause of a number of other problems in the last decade of his life, most notably his trial for alleged child molestation. In a 2003 interview with Ed Bradley, he insinuated that his arrest on charges of child abuse was part of a conspiracy. He later alleged in a 2005 interview with Jesse Jackson that his trial was part of a conspiracy. 
Nonetheless, he still refused to sell his stake in the catalogue, all the way up to his death. His death occurred while he was preparing for a massive series of concerts, something he told many friends and relatives he never wanted to do again, and yet he chose to sign up for those concerts rather than sell his stake in Sony ATV. Late last year, it was reported that a clause in Jackson's agreement with Sony had been triggered, allowing Sony to make a takeover bid. Last week, it was announced that a deal had been completed, with Sony paying roughly $750 million for the Jackson Estate's 50% share. The deal came two years before Paul McCartney and Yoko Ono can legally begin the process of trying to reacquire the rights to the Lennon-McCartney songbook, a right enshrined in the 1976 Copyright Act. The Jackson family does not appear to be united in its opinion on the sale. A message published on Joe Jackson's website, weeks after it was reported that he was bedridden and on the brink of death, expressed support for the move, but Jackson's daughter Paris has made a very public point of favouriting a large number of messages on Twitter which are critical of the decision. So there we go. Great to hear from Charles Thompson, the MJ Cast legal expert. You can find all the links to his social media and website in the show notes. We're also going to cross now to an audio snippet from our web assistant, Jacob Rathjen, uh, who's going to break down for us the reaction amongst the fan community regarding this news. The feeling around social is quite dark, lots of anger toward the estate. Yeah, it's not, not too cheerful at all. Got a couple comments here that were made on the post that uh, we posted onto our Facebook page about the situation. This one from Adrian Prozen. OMG, first the bloody chalk in the off the wall reissue, and now this. What other evil tricks have they got at their sleeves? And this one from Luca Balassi. This is beyond disappointing, and the last thing he would have wanted. Now, of course, there's a feeling of anger uh, but we've got a few posts, a few tweets here uh, from Ashley who sort of uh, make light of uh, this situation in this dark time. You know, some of us actually love Michael. Crazy, I know, but we always will stand up for him and what he's done for this world and his family and his fans. Here we are and we ain't going anywhere and we are still here, which is very, uh, very cool um, that we are reminded that um, we're still one and we're still family and we're still uh, standing up for our king, MJ. And um, yeah, so that is the feeling around social at the moment. And um, it's pretty evident as well. Thank you for that, Jacob. And thank you for all our listeners that commented on Facebook and tweeted us and asked us our opinions. Of course, the MJ cast uh, love hearing from you guys, but you guys also love hearing from us. Uh, and the MJ cast is a news and discussion show. This is a show that we talk about news headlines, but then we discuss it. So we share our opinions and, you know, our opinions might be different to your opinions. Everyone's got their own and that is fine. And we can respect that everyone has different opinions and I know that a few people wanted to hear a Q rant. <laughs> Do I have the energy? It's been exhausting, this whole thing, hasn't it? It's just been so draining, like, and just another huge disappointment for, for us fans. Like, I was furious and sickened, yet somehow not surprised when this news broke. Like, to be honest, like, we reported back in October last year that Sony had 
issued the the notice that they that clause in the in the contract that they wanted to sell or buy. So, but seriously, oh, it was just exhausting. So angry from it, like fake tracks, dodgy albums, poor quality releases, fake MJ Holoshams, not defending MJ when he's attacked and blatantly lied about in the press, dodgy tax filings, a seven hundred and fifty million dollar tax bill, selling Neverland. And now his share of the Sony ATV catalog is in the process of being acquired by Sony. How is that a track record that the estate can be proud of? Ridiculous. Like, I think we've seen reactions from Paris on Instagram and Twitter, what she's liked on Twitter and her views with the pictures. Like, good for her speaking up, I guess. But what happened when she spoke up? Did you guys see she got totally rubbished in the media with these bullshit headlines yeah, i did see that yeah like the next day or not even the next day it was a couple of days later i'm like that's disgusting and but again they that sort of happened last time the family spoke up yeah it was really similar to the whole kidnapping fiasco that happened that's right bullshit ridiculous oh my god and then joe's statement didn't that blow up the whole internet again we'll get <laughs> we will get to that later but oh my god <laughs> Okay, I would prefer to remember Michael's statements and we're going to have links for so many videos and so many examples in the show notes of words directly from Michael's mouth about what he thought about the catalogue and what he thought was going to happen with it. Okay, I don't know. Is this like rich white man power? You know, Michael as a black artist was viewed as a threat in the industry when he had this catalogue and he had the power. You know, we all know record companies and media rewrite history. So I think when Michael got this catalogue, isn't that when the tide really turned? He said it himself in, a, in an incredible speech he did with, uh, was it with Jesse Jackson? You know, as soon as he bought the catalogue, there you go. All those headlines started coming up. So again, I'm going to point people to Michael's statements. I trust Michael. I'm a Michael Jackson fan and supporter. I am a moonwalker. If I was a fan of a lawyer, I'd be called a brankophile. <laughs> and that I am not. Brankophile. I am no brankophile. <laughs> I am a moonwalker. Sony as a company has a history of behavior with Michael and other artists. We've seen this before. They're a company that deals in dollars, not art or people. It's dollars and power for these people. That's it. I think the estate execs had no realistic choice but to sell. And in my opinion, they may have helped Sony in getting this acquisition through by their by their own actions of weakening the estate's position, for example, uh, creating debt for the estate with the bad IRS filing, poor sales through subpar products, poor merchandising. In my opinion, Branker's going to he's going to benefit regardless. He's going to go home with his little paycheck from everyone that he gets paid by, isn't he? So, you know, being a Sony employee, he was happy to help. Sony have wanted this catalog for decades, either to keep it or to sell it for more dollars. Like the whole catalog is worth far more as a whole than just the 50% they had to start with. Michael has consistently been the highest dollar earner since his death. And now that revenue stream is gone. Yes, he will earn from my Jack catalog, Cirque shows, 
and the EMI catalog still, but losing the Sony ATV share is a huge blow, I think, for future earnings. I think the statement from Martin Bandier is dismissive, shallow, and I found it disrespectful towards MJ for sure. I think the exec statement, well, I just don't believe what they have to say. I think they've proven that they can't be trusted. Michael told you as a fan many times his thoughts on Sony and he told people many times he thought people would do anything to get their hands on his catalogue. He said a lot of shocking things that have tragically come to pass and until I hear otherwise from equally trustworthy sources, I choose to trust Michael and his words. So that's how I feel. <laughs> well, I guess we can wrap the show up there. <laughs> pretty much, he's pretty much addressed all of the topics that we were going to talk about as a roundtable, and we no, 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 straight line. We're all table. done. That was just an introduction because <laughs> apparently people wanted to hear a Q rant, so it was much requested. I think and you I brought up a good point with um with your mention of not being able to trust what the executives say, regardless of, you know, I don't not by any means pretending to be a financial analyst or a music publishing expert or an expert on anything. But so I'm not pretending I know if it's a good sale, if it's a bad sale financially, if it's good or bad. But all all I can draw from what you said and, and just wholeheartedly agree with is that whatever the executives are doing and saying, how the hell can we know if we can trust what they're saying because they like you said the track record proves that everything they say should be taken with a grain of salt from the very beginning from the very very beginning since they took over the estate there's just been every single thing they've done just about has been at the very least questionable with a high percentage of things being just completely outrageous um, and especially some of the statements they've made I just yeah I don't know I don't know what to think or believe uh, when it comes to what comes out of their mouths or what, what they put in print. so Well, you know, just for example, Branker himself has clearly said back in, was it 2009, they were not going to sell assets. They were not going to sell the catalogue. That was his own words. Yeah, I think he said it in 2012 as well when he did an interview surrounding the, the Bad 25 documentary that these, okay. you know, that these are cornerstone assets and we don't sell assets. Um, Nick Minute sells assets <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, For sale. If, they, if they are assets and not liabilities because we have to remember an asset is something that's actually generating a profit and a, a liability is something that's costing the estate money if they're profitable for the estate there should be no reason to want to get rid of them however I'm, like I said I'm not an expert on this stuff and there, there was a clause that was triggered by Sony that was you know allowed one of the two parties to buy the other out on the full share. So anyway, I don't think that that's necessarily estates doing that clause was put in place while Michael was still alive and Michael agreed to it. So if Michael was still alive today, that clause still could have been triggered and Sony still could have bought the catalog from out from underneath Michael and probably in all honesty, a little bit more swiftly with a little bit more ease because having had Michael not pass away, he possibly wouldn't have had cleared as much of his own debt of the, as the estate had because his personal spendings would have continued and possibly not have had such big money projects like the 
like the, the this is it film and those things because there's no overheads with the film. Whereas if you had gone on tour, there's overheads for every single element of stuff. So, you know, we still could be in the same situation here today, sooner or later, uh, one way or the other. Sony still may have bought that from Michael and Michael still may have had no, no um, power to kind of outbid them. But it doesn't make it any easier to swallow that Michael Jackson's treasured catalogue that he said, and I quote, is not for sale, has not been for sale, and will never be for sale, is now sold. So, You know what I've been confused about is this whole clause scenario. Like, why wait until 2015 to trigger the clause? Like, why not trigger it when Michael was alive and at his most obviously financial like low point, which was, you know, 20, you know, 2008, 2009, wouldn't that have been the most ideal time to trigger the clause? I reckon that there was a slight, maybe not even just slight. I reckon that there was a, a hope on Sony's part that Michael Jackson himself would fall into bankruptcy and that they wouldn't have to trigger any clauses and they wouldn't have to buy him out as such is that he would just default on loans and basically have to hand it over as his only way out of his hole. And I think that probably the people that were advising Michael on some of the deals that he struck and some of the different things that put him in the position that he was in to be financially shaky are also some of the people that were probably working for Sony Music. Do we even need to say names? So, yeah, I think it would ideally Sony probably would have preferred to just being able to take over that whole catalogue without having to, yeah. to, to do a deal for it like the way that they have now. But one way or the other, it, all the reports that you can read online are saying that Sony have been the beneficiaries of this deal, even though the estate have ended up with $750 million of cash in the long run, that's not going to outweigh the value of the catalogue, the, gen- the, the profits that the catalogue will generate and what the value of the catalogue will probably inflate to be because, you know, assets increase in value as time goes on like property does like anything does and looking back over the past few years like this 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 decision to to um i guess for sony to buy the other 50 percent of the share of atv and along along with the sale of or the potential sale of neverland valley ranch i would i would say from for the last three years those two uh decisions are probably the two most controversial decisions that I can think of that um, that are linked to the estate. And it, it kind of makes me wonder, like, if you look back, what like why why is this decision around Sony ATV so controversial? Why is there so much emotion about this? What did the catalogue really mean to Michael Jackson? Was it just publishing or was it a matter of pride or because uh, it was a massive achievement for him to He clearly held on to it with all of his life. I mean quite literally. Yep. He did everything within his within his power to never relinquish his fifty percent stake in that catalog, even if he had have relinquished a one percent share or a half percent share back to Sony and to Sony and being a forty nine fifty one percent shareholder in that catalog, um, that would have given Sony all the power over him. But he never went less than fifty percent. He always well, did, did, did everything within his power to make sure he owned half of that publishing catalog. And it Branker was to his had own detriment. He could for a while. Yeah, but I guess Branker's percentage would have to have been factored in as part of Michael's percentage. Technically, like if you look at it from the way that it probably would have been justified, 
it would but have been in the end. Michael got that back. He didn't let. He bought it back it. from him. Absolutely. When he did a restructure, when he did a restructuring of his um, of his team uh, in two thousand and six, and everything was renegotiated, and different people were given different roles and different powers within his private circle. That was one of the big, big things that Michael did was to make sure that that percentage went back to him in his name. So. I think, think I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't. I'm not so educated on how that that percentage ended up with John Branker. Was no. it a uh, was it a gift of like good faith from Michael in the beginning that as like a thank you for helping me do the deal? Here know. is here is a little piece of it, or because it, I mean, you have to remember at one point Michael Jackson and John Branker were very close. Michael Jackson wasn't he the best man at John Branker's wedding? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, they at one point they were very, very, very close and on very good terms. So, from what I understand, they had a tumultuous relationship, one that would kind of ebb and flow between, you know, approval and disapproval. There were kind of like a marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're on the couch tonight, and tonight you're in the bed, and it's all lovey dovey. But you're back on the couch tonight, (laughs) and then you're fired, and then rehired. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not sure their relationship was one where Michael con- he was continuously in Michael's favor, but I guess it's um, yeah, just interesting that he he came back into Michael's favor just a matter of weeks before Michael passed away. I, think- I wouldn't. Oh, I wouldn't say he came back into Michael's favor. Are you talking about when he came back and met with Michael surrounding the This Is It concert? Well, from 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 Banker, Branker's side of the story, if, you, if you're taking Branker's side of the story to be truthful, which is something I don't usually do at all, but um, <laughs> I think I think there's a quote out there where John Branker actually says something like, when he met Michael again in the, in the um, preparations for This Is It, Michael said something like, I'm so glad you're back, John, or something like that. So, okay. I mean... Well, I'm not even so sure that Michael personally invited John Branker back. If you look at interviews at Randy Phillips, the the then head of AEG, the touring company that Michael was aligning with to do the This Is It shows, Randy Phillips said that when those 50 shows went on sale and sold out so emphatically, he was getting calls from John Branker. And the quote that Randy Phillips gives is, Branker told Randy Phillips, I'll do anything to be involved with this and that Randy Phillips brought Branker back into the fray to try and have him represent Michael because Michael at the time was being represented by people who were also representing AEG and there was a conflict of interest. So he wanted somebody that wasn't playing both sides of the field. I mean, if you can look at that as Randy Phillips looking out for Michael Jackson's best interest by wanting to get him a, <laughs> a, a lawyer that wasn't that wasn't on both sides. But, yeah, the person that he, that, that he invited in was, was John Branker. Um, make of that what you will, but it was, yeah, it was Branker seeing the dollar signs and, and if, you, if you believe what Randy Phillips said, because you've got different versions of stories by, told by different people, I guess you have to decide what you believe. Um, yeah. Randy Phillips's version is that Branker called him, said he would do anything, whatever it took to be involved with that, that picture, and that eventually he was given the invitation to come in and be present. But I think the meeting with Michael, between Michael and John Branker, was only like a week or two before he died. He wasn't around for very long. Like it, it, when it, when he finally arrived and they finally met, it, it wasn't very long at all. I can't remember the date, but 
Yeah, it wasn't long. Back to the question, though, what the catalogue meant to Michael. To me, like like Damien said, he really guarded it with his life. He, he worked really hard to, to, to keep it while he was alive. I think in some ways for Michael, the artistic side of the catalogue had a lot of meaning. Who was What was the artist that once he bought the catalogue in... Little Richard. It was Little Richard. Michael gave all of the rights back to Little Richard. Is that correct? I'm not sure if it was. Oh, like I said, I'm not an expert on the ATV catalogue. I'm not sure if it was ATV or if it was part of a different catalogue that he acquired. But, yeah, that's that story is apparently true. And I think that shows that he respected the art as well and the artist. And, like, he had a moral conscience even though this was a huge business deal as well i think he also gave one the rights to one of the beatles song maybe to the daughter of holmes accord who he actually bought the catalog off because her name was like the same as the song perhaps i think i wonder I, which song that was it might have been penny lane or something like that uh that does ring a bell that could have been it yeah. actually maybe um so i think Yes, it was a huge business deal to him. I think Michael could see the security in music publishing and like that money side of it for sure. Like you wouldn't do a deal like this just for fun. So definitely I think he could see the the business acumen of such an incredible catalogue and an incredible deal and an incredible asset. But I also think that he really treasured the actual artists attached to it and, yeah, I think there was also a part of it as well of Michael being really upset at how black musicians had been treated in terms of, you know, their own rights and in the music industry. Uh, he spoke about Otis Blackwell himself. Yeah. yeah. So for, for him as a proud black musician to have such financial success within the industry, I think meant a lot. A lot to him, uh, definitely. You know, he, he spoke about that in, in the Jesse Jackson interview that we've already spoken about on the show. And he also spoke about it a little later on when he was doing some protests in New York City against Sony Music uh, with, with Al Sharpton. And I think um, that's a really good point, Jamin. And I think security for him as well. Like this would help secure him for his future. Yeah, absolutely. There's also the, there's also the pride factor as well that he was the owner of it yeah he he was 50 he was 50 of that company and when he sits in a boardroom you've got michael jackson on one side of the table and you've got thousands of people on the other side i don't know however many people work for sony or they're all on the opposite side sony is, as a company owns half michael jackson as one man owns the other half and I think it just must have made him feel proud. Like, it, surely it must have to know that he managed to conquer conquer that big a chunk of the music industry. He, and he was the 50% owner of it. And as an artist himself, knowing how he valued his own artistry, his own music, his own catalogue of, you know, videos and songs, to then be able to say, well, I know what needs to be done to protect the integrity of my music and I'm going to give that same protection to all of this other music, which I am essentially the gatekeeper to. So I think that probably played a big part 
And then I also think that just the the sheer fear of his legacy having Michael Jackson loses the Beatles catalog, if that were to happen on his watch, he I don't know maybe that wouldn't have sat so well with him as well. I think maybe just as long as he managed to keep a hold of it for as long as he lived, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. Michael Jackson died owning the Beatles catalog. His entire, all the way through to death, he had that catalog. And I, I don't know, I just don't think he could have bared to have not had it, regardless of all the problems that it would cause him, because it sure did, having that catalog sure did cause him a lot of problems. He could have not bought it. He could have done Thriller. He could have made hundreds of millions off that. He could have toured the world. And the Bad Album could have came out. And he could have done that. And he could have, and he could have had absolutely no business worries because he could have had this whole big shadow, this massive company that he's a 50% owner of. He could have not had it. He could have not had to ever think about it or worry about it or borrow against it or have people wanting to get it off him. Like His life would have been easier probably without that catalog. But for some reason, he wanted to keep it. And he did keep it. I mean, Michael Jackson's legacy and everything that founds his legacy was done between 1958 and 2009. And when we sign off in 2009 and say, thanks for everything, Michael, this is your legacy, the Beatles catalogue is that. I mean, it's been sold now. and It doesn't impact his legacy at all because he's not been involved with the sale at all. But yeah, I think just, just knowing that he, he left this world being 50% owner of that Sony ATV publishing company was probably important to him. Clearly important to him. He we feared mentioned- that he would be killed for it and still kept it. Not even the fear of being killed for the catalogue drove him to sell the catalogue. Not even... And, I mean, and he raised that fear to several people. We've heard LaToya talk about it. We've heard Lisa Marie Presley talk about it. They're going to kill me for my publishing catalogue. They're going to kill me for my publishing catalogue. It's not just one person. There's several... People have said the same thing, and he kept it. Yeah, and it was a, those sentiments were sort of like prolonged throughout his life as well. He wasn't just saying that at a particular point in his life. He was saying that right from the very early 2000s all the way to when he passed away. Like I was, you know, I was speaking to uh, Kerry Anderson uh, last night, Michael Jackson's bodyguard during 2000, and I think it was actually the 2003 or four, right up until 2006. And he was telling me that he had extensive long conversations about Michael's fears around Sony and, and how they were going to be able to manipulate him to get that catalog. Uh, it's, it's obviously a fear he had for a very long time. So that begs the question, what, you know, what was Michael's relationship with Sony music really like? And there's, there's a few instances where he talks about it. Uh, his relationship with the, with the record company in his in his career, and I think um in our episode that we did with Taj Jackson Q, do you remember when Taj was t- was talking about how the relationship between his uncle Michael and Sony was even strained in in sort of the mid to late nineties? It kind of stems right back to that era. Oh, for sure, for sure. And there was complexities when they were trying to get their uh, other album out, and so yeah. It's been like Branker's relationship that we spoke about before. Like, yeah, it's not always been a smooth sailing. That's for certain. And they are um, Michael's own words. He told us. That's right. And, you know, and you fast forward to the, the real critical point in their relationship, which was the release of the album Invincible, Michael's last studio album, and Michael's response to, 
you know, their treatment of the whole promotion of that album uh, with, with, of course, the killer thriller speech that took place in London in 2002. You hear Michael actually talk about the breakdown of his relationship with that record company and how he wanted to leave the record label as an artist signed with them and that they wanted to, you know, really... Um, they had a vendetta against him because he wanted to leave with 50% of their catalogue. I think, you know, really looking at that, that relationship and the breakdown of that relationship, it it frustrates me so much. Like, I, I'm kind of, I'm not on the fence at all with this, with this purchase. I am very upset that Sony Music owns 100% of this catalogue at this point. I'm not upset so much with the fact that the estate doesn't own it. I mean, there is a part of me that's upset about that, but it makes it even worse that Sony Music is the company that's in control because we know that- Sony Music was the company that Michael merged with to create ATV, Sony ATV. So it's not like bizarre or obscure that Sony would be the person that acquires it. I mean, the only reason it exists is because Michael merged with Sony in the first place. So like they are the natural person that's going to be first in line to- take 100% ownership of it, is the person that Michael went into business with. It's totally a foreseeable outcome. It, it, yeah. was, it was probably going to happen. It doesn't make me stomach it any easier. Yeah. Well. Why do you think Neverland is being mentioned so much when this catalogue sale is discussed? I think it's because it's, it's like the catalogue. It's like it's, it's one of those aspects of Michael's life and career that was like a, a crown jewel of what he accomplished. Neverland represents Michael. It, you know, I think he says it. He said it best in Private Home Movies, uh, the TV special that he did uh, in in the early two thousands, and he, he talked about Neverland as a place that represents him and and is him, and that he would never sell it. Uh, and and I think the fact and, and and you know maybe he went on to think differently about it after his trial. I, I'm not sure about that, but. It, it is a place that represents Michael Jackson, just like the catalog represents his business accomplishments. Neverland represented, you know, his his own being as a physical place, really, in, in, in some sense. So I think, you know, there's emotions run high about those two particular things that are being sold because they represent different aspects of Michael's accomplishment. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the same. And also the, the the two very distinct things that Michael spoke with passion about that he did not want to sell. <laughs> I mean, he's on record as saying, I do not want to sell Neverland. Neverland goes up for sale. I do not want to sell the catalogue. The catalogue is gone. We better go I check mean, his speeches to see what else he said he doesn't <laughs> want sold. There's there's warehouses full of Michael Jackson stuff. Like there's snippets of footage in documentaries where Karen Langford is walking through the, these warehouses. I think there's 60-minute documentaries about this. And there are absolutely just so many things that Michael owned, so many assets. I think there's like cars, like Bentleys and things like that. If If one of Michael Jackson's Bentleys went up for sale, do you think we'd be as upset as the catalogue in Neverland? Well, he didn't really talk passionately about never wanting to sell the Bentley, did he? That's right. That's he never right. went in an interview and, and, and spoke <laughs> passionately about having a collection of cars that he wanted to hold on forever and pass down to his children. Speaking <laughs> of Bentley, though, when, they, uh, when the estate execs filed that tax return, they valued 
like those cars separately, like, and I'm talking about just one car on its own, they valued that higher than Michael's image. I remember that. Yeah. And what do they value the AT- Sony ATV catalog at? They valued that at, let me just check, zero dollars. Okay. Zero dollars. That's a fact. But they did a pretty good deal to get $750 million for an asset worth nothing. Wow. That grew a lot in value. Mm. Dodgy. They should... <laughs> they should start selling the used tissues out of Michael Jackson's bin. Because if they could get if they could get seven hundred and fifty million for something that's worth nothing, what's a what's a used Kleenex worth? Like a couple of cents? They could probably make <laughs> billions from those. I think um yeah, the catalogue has really struck a nerve with those that are protective about Michael, that love Michael and that well, you know, for some of us grew up hearing these words from Michael from his mouth when he says these things. So I think yeah, it's really hit a nerve for sure, and understandably so. There's, it's not like this. Not everyone feels the same though. Like oh, if you're on, no, no, no. If, if you're on Twitter, like and looking through, you know, the comments and things that are happening about this, this, uh, this sale or purchase or whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a massive portion of fans out there that are upset about this and extremely angry. And and I wouldn't say it's of equal proportion, but there are groups of people there that think this is possibly a good move on the the estate's uh, behalf. You know, it may it's probably some people think it's better that the estate did make that 750 million dollars in cash rather than try to raise money that they may never have been able to to try and buy out the other half. Well, they obviously didn't raise money to buy the other half. Um, I would have preferred if they, you know, could have moved heaven and earth and and everything else to do that. But like I sort of said in my rant, I think they sort of uh, made their bed and now they're lying in it and there was just no choice. They had had no power in this at all, I think. Mm. I think, you know, they talked the talk and they were like, oh, yeah, we want to buy the other half. I don't believe that for a second. I think they were in such a position that they had absolutely no choice and it was basically bought out from under them and that was it. It was done and they had nothing to say about it. Makes you wonder why Neverland Ranch went up for sale in the first place. Maybe at that point a few months ago they were trying to make that money to buy out the other half. Oh, Honestly, if I think that that's interesting, but I think if that was the case from the record of what, the stuff that comes out of their mouth, they would have been trumpeting, oh, we've something's, you know, we got to sell Neverland because we're trying to save the catalogue that Michael loves so much. And 100 million, you know, what's that going to do? That's chump yeah. change compared to the final deal. I think if that was their intention, they would have actually come out and tried to use that as an excuse to try and, yeah. you know, quell the storm after that Neverland thing happened and, and even after this storm happened. And that, that did not happen at all. Their statement came out. And nah, whatever. I don't believe what they say. And, and 2009, 2016, can we look at the executive's previous choices to assess the quality of this one? Like it's quite the record, don't you think? Oh, look, it's it's the sort of thing where there's just certain things they've done that I can't move past, that I can't forget. And, you know, I don't know if it's comp- it's not comparable. Like none of these decisions are really comparable um, that they've made. It's just... They've done things that I can't forget, I can't forgive them for. I'll never forget. I'll never forgive what happened in 2010. You know, we were sold 
fake Michael Jackson songs. They're still for sale. And the, and the worst part is they look at you with a straight face and tell you that they're real. I know. Or they, or, or they are or, slightly backtracking on that now yes. in, in, the, in the case with that Vera has brought against them and, you know, their current defence is, well, We never said we, it was all going to be was, Michael. Yeah, we never said it was, was him. Um, and if it's not, we can still sell it to you as him. By the way, that's not going to be their defence if, the, if this thing goes to trial. That's just oh, currently what they're... It's a, it's a requirement of them to say that in the current stage that that kind of legal battle is at. If that goes to trial, that will not be their argument. They will surely will not say... Even if it isn't him, we can say it is. Like, they're either going to have to put all their weight behind their original statements of it's him, um, and try and stop Vera from proving that it's not, or just give up and roll over and admit that they've just done a big fraud. But yeah, like like Jamin says, you, when that's one of the first big major things that the estate does, sell you blatantly fake songs and look you right in the eye and tell you no, this is really Michael when you can just take one, listen to it and know that it's not, is you have to, it calls everything into question thereafter. If they're going to tell you one big lie, I mean, if you like, like that great little picture that someone put out about the thing of donuts. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's the exact same example, but if someone comes to you and says, I want to sell you a Rolex and then you go, but this is a fake Rolex. And then they come back to you the next time. They go, I oh, know, Cavie. I've got a real one for you. You going to believe them? It's like, hang on a second. You're the guy that sold me the fake Rolex. Why am I believing you the second time around? Like, is this Rolex yeah. really going to be real the second time when you came to me with a fake the first? Like, or you come to me with three fakes in a row? Is the fourth one going to be real? <laughs> and the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth? Like, how can I trust you? Um, and there's been there's been so many breakdowns of trust. It's not just the Michael album. It's a you know it's the vision box set of quote unquote remastered videos that look worse than the ones Michael already put out. There's there's a plethora I watched of vision the other day and it was I couldn't get it to be any bigger than like a thumbnail on my TV. I've got like a seven inch TV and I could not get it to take the whole screen up. And don't <laughs> get me started on the audio of the thing. It's it's. It's atrocious, and that's that's just that's two examples. There's, we could go into like five or six of them, yeah. but um, it's it's just an ongoing story of the Michael Jackson estate making decisions that the either the fan community or the beneficiaries of the estate. Well, the beneficiaries is something be happy we with. haven't even spoken about. We haven't touched yeah. that yet. No, and and the beneficiaries the beneficiaries clearly don't get a say in what goes on because, I mean, we're using the Casio track argument as, you know, a comparison to to this Sony deal here. We're using what happened then with what happened is what's happening now. And is back then, Catherine and the kids said, that's not Michael. We don't agree with the, with the inclusion of these songs on the album. They're the beneficiaries of the, the estate. They are the estate. Like in Catherine Jackson's exact words, John Branker is not the estate. John Branker is the executor of the estate. We are the estate. Her and the children are the estate. And they clearly have no say. Clearly none at all. Because when they protest against something and everyone looks at them and goes, well, we're hearing you, but we're not listening to you. I can hear the words, but we're not going to process them and let them govern our decisions. They don't get 
they don't get a say. It's like their voices are like talking to brick walls whenever they have a, mm. have an opinion on something. So I would be interested to know how they feel about this. Not that it would have made a difference if they had it begged and pleaded for them to, to not sell it, to do everything in their power to try and keep ownership of it. But it would just be interesting to, to hear what they do have to say. And I guess that brings us to an, uh, an announcement from <laughs> Joseph Jackson, who's uh, put out a statement, I should say, on his website, jwjackson.com. Michael's father, speaking on behalf of, you know, both himself and Catherine Jackson, who is one of the beneficiaries around this deal. And he says in the statement that he likes the deal. He thinks it's great that the that it's a good decision that the, that that 50% of the catalog was sold off to Sony because it'll secure the financial future of Michael's own children. So and I know that's caused ripples as well through the community, the legitimacy or the of that statement and whether it was Joseph or not who actually put those words together and when he whether he approves them or not. Okay, so I know that Joseph is a very polarizing figure in uh, the Michael Jackson fan community. Some of that was because of how Michael viewed his father in the past about their their relationship and it was a very strained relationship at times. But people also need to remember that Michael and Joseph had become very close later in Michael's life. Very close. You just have to go back to the uh, the Oxford speeches and hear how he spoke of his father and how he felt about his father then. And people, I think, sometimes might forget how Michael did feel about his father later in life. I certainly don't. Joseph Jackson, the statement came out. It's not the first time he's come out praising the estate. There was an audio thing late last year, I believe it was, where he was also praising the estate. Like, I don't know. Is there a is there a gun, even like not a financial gun, but like, you know, is there a figurative gun to his head where the family maybe has to toe the line or they can only say certain things? I don't know. Like these statements come out. I think they're by Angel, is it Angel Howarski or something, puts them together. The last we heard, which was a tabloid story, Joseph was like at death's door and barely able to function. So is he? if that was the case, is he putting statements out? Like who knows what to believe? No, but then you, again, you know not to believe the press though. Uh, well, Michael exactly. was on death's door as well and then he... Many times. And then the next minute he's on a, on a stage kicking ass. So that's it. Um. Uh, Then Joseph, you also got to remember, Joseph was a businessman. Joseph's life was a manager and making money, making money for his family. So then on the other hand, well, it would make sense for a businessman to praise a business decision. So Making money for his family or from his family? Well, (laughs) it's been a long time since he's made money from his family, really. He hasn't been their manager for many decades. It's interesting, nonetheless. It's been a very polarizing statement. I don't, I don't really know what to believe. I'm, I'm pretty sure he doesn't do his own tweets. Oh no, I don't think so. Um, I think he knows how to spell his wife's name. Yeah, the name's spelt wrong in the statement, isn't it? I'm not sure about this statement, but in previous statements, the C is not near the K on the keyboard. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Especially <laughs> considering that they they call her Kate. Yeah, Kate. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who knows? But it'd be great. Like I said on Twitter, and I, and I know that this tweet I put out has caused a little bit of controversy, but I'd like to 
I would like to actually hear from the beneficiaries, their own words, their own thoughts about this deal. And I know when I said that on Twitter, I got a bazillion people come back and say, well, we know what they think because Paris Jackson's already liked a couple of tweets from people that say that they're not happy with the deal, but that's not her talking. That's her That's her liking something on Twitter. That's not, yeah, it might reveal a little bit of her opinion here and there, but I want to hear the words of the beneficiaries. I want to hear what they've actually got to say about this deal. Who else was liking tweets? regarding um randy randy jackson jr was there's a few of the jackson family members that are like i mean it's you've got joseph on the on the one end saying that he's approving the deal and speaking on behalf of him and Catherine. but then you've got like paris jackson who's liking tweets saying that that they're not into the deal randy jackson jr so it's very polarizing even within the family and i think you said a great thing the other day q as well on um (laughs) our first version of this episode i think you said something along the lines of um not everybody in a family needing to agree which oh, I thought was, hell no. was good. God knows. No way. Me and my siblings have, you know, very different views on some things. And that has, um, you know, in some a very strained relationship, sadly, in, in some aspects because of different opinions and, and views on things. So, yeah, no, not every family shares the same opinion and maybe they shouldn't. Like, not everyone has the same thoughts on things. So, yeah, there might be possible different opinions within the family. Which then bring, makes you wonder well, who gets to have the final say. <laughs> who's, well, I who's, would hope who's, the beneficiaries. Whose thought is definitive? Well, yeah, what if the, what if beneficiaries don't agree with each other? Because remember, this conversation Absolutely. right now is we yeah. don't actually know what they think because they haven't spoken about it. No, we've I had mean, a, maybe maybe a few indications from Paris. And yeah, we some certainly of the, haven't some heard of the cousins, from, but we haven't Yeah, heard we certainly haven't heard from Prince voice. or Catherine, so... Um, who are adults, you know, like Prince and Catherine are the only two adult beneficiaries. Not to say that being a child discredits Paris. No, not at all. But I would I would certainly like to hear what uh, what Catherine thinks because she's so well-spoken. And the, the interview you mentioned earlier, Damien, I think Sir Piers Morgan interview that she did, which was fantastic. And, and she, she puts things in perspective when she talks. You know, she's a no BS kind of person and, and I'd love to hear straight from Catherine around what she thinks. How do you guys think that the um, the sale of the estate's interest in the Sony ATV publishing will impact on the future releases of Michael's music with Sony Music? Because the deal that was done in 2010... Um, the $250 million deal that allowed Sony to release Michael Jackson's music and videos for seven years up to 10 projects, that will be coming to an end in the next year. Do you think that the estate will be inclined to renew with Sony Music for those, uh, for the next, you know, period of time, whatever that is, for the next set of projects, whatever they are? Do you think that those, the, the, the kind of, freeing themselves of the Sony connection will allow the estate to possibly look at other avenues that Michael himself was trying to look at. You know, we, we know that Michael, as far as releasing his music, was looking everywhere but Sony. He had left handwritten notes that said he was looking to talk to other record labels and look at other options about how he could release his music without doing it on Sony. Do you think that this could be a freeing thing for them to do a little bit to, to look outside the Sony box? That's an awesome question. Jamin, did you want to go first or did you want me to go first? 
Well, I, I I'm happy to go first. I I basically think that the the Sony deal is going to get renewed because as we know, John Branker not only works for the Michael Jackson estate as an executor, he's also on the Sony board. So, in my opinion, there's a high chance that that deal is going to be renewed for a further time period. Whether it's going to be the same value, whether it's going to be another $250 million, I very much doubt. But, um, do yeah. You think, do you think there's a chance that Sony might not want to renew the deal because, oh. because of the way the current deal has panned out as far as sales not meeting the projections? I don't think that's a possibility. I, I, I definitely think they harbor some sort of um, – it's hard to wrap up the feelings of a whole company, but, like, I I do think that they harbor some trepidation around Michael Jackson in general, and I think the company always has uh, since the, the mid-'90s. But in saying that, a company – a company's going to want to partner with Michael Jackson. He's one of the biggest draw cards in music. Absolutely. Still is and still and always will be. And I think Sony would be crazy not to try to angle towards doing another deal with Michael. I think all record labels will because he's such a big draw. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, I just don't think it, it's going to – whatever the next deal is going to be, I don't think it's going to be $250 because that was crazy. Like, that was insane. Yeah, and do you think a lot of people are saying that they feel that seven hundred and fifty million for Michael's fifty percent of the catalog is underpriced? Like it maybe should have they should maybe have been paid more for it. Do you think that maybe Sony had some bargaining power with how much they were willing to give the estate for the catalog because they'd already done the two hundred and fifty million dollar deal for seven years for ten projects that wasn't going to see them? making yeah. a return I, i'm like just statistically i i don't see how they could have made their money back on that deal it's almost as if they've given up on trying to recoup the seven the 250 million dollar deal was a massive coup for the estate massive they made bank on that big time regardless of what sony made from it the estate got that 250 million that was it so that was the figure. Sony then had to do the work to get it back by selling the music. I don't I, I can't see how they possibly could have done it. So do you think that maybe reduced their willingness to pay full price for the for the catalog? Do you think that maybe was like hey, we didn't quite get what we wanted from that deal, so we're gonna get, give you a little bit less on this one? That's assuming though that Sony was going to put out you know, quality products all throughout that that period of the deal, the ten years, which oh, sorry, the ten project deal, which they they didn't do. In my opinion, Sony kind of shot themselves in the foot with you know the fake songs on the Michael album, the crappy Vision DVD, um, you know the bad <laughs> the VHS quality bad show, et cetera, et cetera. You know they were never going to come close to that two hundred and fifty million with the quality of the products they were putting out. Yeah, that's a good point. They did work in conjunction with the estate on the pro- projects, and I'm not too sure on certain projects how much weight the estate actually had, how much say they had in the outcomes of the projects. But um, I know the estate definitely had a lot of say on the outcomes of, like, for example, the Michael album. Um, they were very involved in areas of, of the production of an album that you would never imagine that lawyers would be involved with. It, it's, it was quite a bizarre little project, that the Michael album, whereas the Escape album, for example, was practically L.A. Reid doing the whole thing himself. 
making all of the decisions. So it was a little bit different. But um, I think that may be a, a learning curve to not let lawyers be involved with artistic decisions and them having corrected that for future projects. But you are right. They did make some pretty bad decisions and they are their own fault. They allowed those things to happen. They allowed fake songs to be released on an official Michael Jackson product. And one of the consequences of that decision that they allowed, that they made and they allowed to happen was a massive dip in what the sales should have been. They did not meet the projections. I mean, the Michael album, for example, I know that from people that I've spoken to involved with the record label and the estate projected that that album could and should have sold somewhere in the vicinity of 10 million copies. It sold 2 million copies. Yeah, from the very, very outset of the deals that they had, the deal that they had done in the very first project that they released within that deal, they weren't meeting their targets. And I think it was very obvious that that deal was going to favor the estate financially and not be a good thing for Sony Music. Didn't The hindsight of the deal based on the decisions that they made along the way, was that it was bad for Sony. So I'm wondering if that has possibly factored into the amount that they have given the estate for the publishing, being that they are related companies. So we're going to hear now from an author that wrote a pretty shocking book back in 2006. The book is called The Trials of Michael Jackson. The author is a multi-best-selling author Linton Guest and back in 2006 when he put this book out it was a uh, it's a research book it explains the history of the music catalog and it also explains pretty much the history of Sony wanting the catalog and uh, a lot of the relationship that they had with Michael Jackson during that time so here we are with a recorded phone call that we did with Linton Guest recently we have a special guest on the line. His name is Linton Guest. He is the author of the 2006 book, The Trials of Michael Jackson, a must-read in any Michael Jackson's fan collection, in my opinion. We have Linton on the line today because we want to ask him about some of his knowledge that he obtained in his research for his, his incredible book, Linton, welcome to the MJ Cast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Q. So we have you on the call because you have written an incredible book about trials of Michael Jackson, but a large part of it had to do with Sony, and there was a lot of talk in your book about this catalogue that this week has been sold 100% now to Sony. So I guess my first question to you'd be, just in a nutshell, I guess, what's the history of this catalogue in question? Okay, well, the catalogue you refer to is known as Sony ATV Music Publishing. It was originally um, just called ATV Publishing, a British publishing company that was formed in the 1950s um, as an offshoot of a television franchise. It happened to acquire hundreds and then thousands and now almost two million songs, the most famous of which, of course, are the Lennon and McCartney songs of the Beatles. But that's how this happened. The company itself, ATV, was suffering in the 1980s 
and 1990s and was sold and it was Michael Jackson that bought the company. That's how he acquired it. In fact, uh, you could say that the investment that Michael made was one of the one of the shrewdest business investments ever, not just in the music industry, um, but in any industry. I would uh, like to say that um, music publishing is one of the most lucrative areas of music um, uh, money making. I was taught this lesson back in the 1970s by a great Australian, Robert Stigwood, who was my manager and also managed the Bee Gees. And although he had an agency, he had a record company, he had a management company, it was him, first of all, that uh, realized how lucrative music publishing could be. Anyway, uh, Michael Jackson uh, paid uh, somewhere between 40 and $50 million for uh, ATV Music. And he used the huge amount of income he had received from the Thriller album to invest in that. Now, contrary to what you might read elsewhere, he then sold 50% of that company to Sony uh, for between 40 and $50 million. That's US dollars, by the way. And therefore, he got this publishing catalogue for nothing. Now, of course, we, um, we spool forward to today and Michael's estate has uh, sold or is in the process of selling um, the whole company to Sony for 750 million US dollars. Now, if you can find me a better investment than that anywhere in the world, I'd be very interested to hear it. Um, <laughs> I don't think Michael bought it simply for money-making in the first place. I think he had two um, uh, motives. One was that he had this pile of money from Thriller, which had to be invested somewhere. And he was someone who actually had a great sense of music history. And, of course, uh, owning the Beatles songs, a lot of other 1950s rock and roll titles uh, that were contained in that ATV catalogue, he thought that he would like to preserve them and make sure that he had a home which would not exploit them outlandishly, but would, in a way, venerate um, what he saw as partly his own history in music. And I think those were the two motives. As it happened, of course, it was a massive money spinner, and uh, hence why there's been so much um, involvement uh, in other companies trying to get hold of it. And now it's going to Sony. I don't know whether if Michael was still alive, he would want to do that, but there you are. He's not. Um, the estates have sold it to Sony. Thank you for that answer, Linton. Obviously, this catalogue was a very important part of Michael Jackson's empire, I guess, when he was alive. And uh, one, of, one of his crowning achievements in uh, many fans' point of view. What I'd like to ask you now is around um, what extent do you think that Sony planned and uh, tried to acquire that catalogue or the other half of the catalogue while Michael was alive after the mid-90s? Yeah, I, I, um, there are two real, real reasons. Um, uh, first of all, because they wanted 
to make the money from total ownership of the company. Uh, when they bought the 50%, this was, um, they were, in a sense, quite happy with that um, at the time. However, they were not allowed by Michael to exploit the catalogue as much as they would have liked. I mean, on numerous occasions, Michael, uh, Michael, who had a veto on how some of these songs were used, would not allow Sony to license some of the songs for projects which Michael didn't think um, were commensurate with the, the how he saw the value of the songs outside of simple money-making. And so Sony started coming round to the view that they would like to acquire... Uh, the whole catalogue so that they would not have to go and ask Michael um, for permission every time they wanted to license a song, say for use in a movie or a TV advertisement or something like this. And so that's where the beginnings of this uh, came. As time went on, that developed on the part of Sony into what they saw as a a more moral campaign in that when Michael was accused originally in the 90s of the child molestation of Jordan Chandler, Sony started to get cold feet about their association with Michael. They couldn't do a lot about it at the time, but come with the end of Michael's trial um, in the 2000s, Sony saw a chance to be able to get hold of this whole catalogue, and this eventually, 10 years later, is what they've done. I can explain how that works, and you might be interested in why the estate, at this point in time, is selling this catalogue, um, when a lot of people, as you rightly said earlier, agree that uh, Michael Thoris is one of his proudest achievements, and probably, if he was still alive, would not want to sell it. I'd love to hear that, if you would like to share. Right. Well, this goes back to, you can trace this back to the release of the Bad album, because Bad sold around the world 20, 25 million copies, which for any other artist would be the most fantastic thing. Michael's problem was that, of course, Thriller had sold over 50 million copies. And what he had done was create an organization in the belief that uh, bad would sell equally um, the amount of uh, copies around the world that Thriller had done. When it didn't, Michael was loath to change the organization he had put around him. But unfortunately, he did not have the income to support it over a, um, a large amount of time. He therefore borrowed something like $220 million from the Bank of America. As time went on, he was always in difficulties in servicing that debt. And it was very difficult for him, particularly when he was put on trial, to, to actually service this loan. And of course... During the trial, he had massive amounts of legal fees and, and what have you to, to pay out. At the end of the trial, his, um, his, his debt, they were almost about to foreclose on his debt. Sony stepped in 
this is in 2006, and created a structure whereby they assumed uh, responsibility for the debt. The interest on that debt was frozen, but in return, Michael signed uh, a deal whereby within the next 10 years, Sony could buy Michael's share of Sony ATV, or Michael could buy Sony's share of ATV. Now, had Michael been alive, possibly he might have been able to raise the money to buy Sony's share. But because he's not alive, and it's now the estate that's dealing with it, that 10-year agreement is set to expire this year, 2016. Now, Sony, therefore, last year opened uh, negotiations with the Jackson estate to uh, resolve this issue, this 10-year issue of total ownership. The Jackson estate claims that they went into it seeing uh, to try and see whether there was a way, a way that they could buy out Sony. That may be true, um, but it was never a realistic possibility. Uh, and therefore, uh, Sony really had all the cards. So the only question then was, how much would it be sold for? And we hear that it's um, $750 million. That's how Sony acquired it, because of this 10-year agreement relating to Sony's assuming Michael's huge debt following his trial. So that's really where it comes down to. But I'd like to say another thing, and that is that, that it's not as if the, uh, the Michael Jackson estate is going to receive $750 million in cash. There is still the issue of the historic debt. So my guess is that they would probably receive somewhere in the region of $250 million because the debt uh, will take care of the other $500 million. I'd just like to say one other thing. I mean, everyone's saying what a fabulous amount of money it is that they've sold it for at a premium. Well, I don't agree with that. In my book, um, I predicted that the income from this catalogue would rise year on year exponentially. And in my opinion, that 50% is certainly worth over a billion dollars. But there you are. That's just my opinion. So ultimately, what are your thoughts on the sale, Linton? Well, my thoughts are that basically the, the estate had no choice. It was locked into this 10-year agreement it was also the case that there's a historic debt. Now, when you got those two things, it was the case that, that in the end, they were between a rock and a hard place. They could not raise the finance to buy the Sony share. And even if they had, there would then be all the problems of administrating the company, etc. Um, so much as we might think that it's, um, it's not a very nice move on the part of the estate to sell it. In the end, I don't think they had a choice. I've got a question that I hadn't actually thought of earlier. Do you know much about like John Branker's involvement, not only as an estate executor, but also someone that works on the Sony board? <laughs> yes, it's a very strange situation, isn't it? 
I mean, in any normal society, you would think that that at least has the appearance of a conflict of interest. However, the music business being what it is, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that that has happened. Of course, Mr. Branker and Mr. McLean are, are the executors of the estate, so they have a lot of power in that. I mean, this wouldn't this this, this has happened many many times before when you have parties sort almost appearing as if they're acting for both sides. So where does their actual interest lie? That I'm afraid we don't know. But one thing you can be absolutely sure of is that in this deal there will be a lot of fees paid to various parties for brokering the deal. And uh, it may be that Mr. Brinker, uh, um will claim some of those. I don't know. I can't say that for certain. But it does have the appearance of a conflict of interest, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely does. And I guess that's something that a lot of the you know Michael Jackson fans around the world have always been worried about, whether John Branker is serving the best interests of, you know, the... Um, you know, the estate itself or, or Sony Music. And sometimes it, it appears, in my opinion, that he's serving the, uh, the needs of Sony more so than, than the family. Well, I'm sure Mr. Branker would say um, that his connection with Sony and the Sony board was um, there in order that uh, he could safeguard the interests of the estate. That's what mm. I think he would say. Um, well, you have to uh, remember that I mean, massive though the Sony Corporation is, that it, it's the amount of money that Michael Jackson has made for Sony over the years is just massive. And that they bought CBS in America in the first place because Michael Jackson was signed to the label. That's why they bought it. And in fact, I have it on good authority that the deal was finally signed uh, at a Michael Jackson concert in Tokyo. So Michael represents, historically, a huge chunk of the Sony music business income. Now, obviously, that's changed over the years, but nonetheless... If you think about uh, what's happened since Michael died, where where the income from Michael Jackson-related projects has gone through the roof, you can see that he is still a very important person to Sony, even though he's dead. Perhaps even more so because he's dead. And therefore, it's a very uh, intermingled relationship which John Branker has negotiated his way through. Mm. Well, what do you think on how the executors of the estate have handled Michael Jackson's estate so far since his passing? Well, well, there's two things to say about that, I think. One is, on the purely financial terms, um, I wrote in, in, in the appendix to my book on the second edition, which, which I did after Michael died, and I said that there would be no question that when you look at the exploitation of dead artists, Michael Jackson would immediately shoot to number one and will stay there for many years to come. And at the time, 
the, the two biggest dead artists who were making money were Elvis Presley and Frank Sinatra. But Michael Jackson, since he died, has earned more money than both of those put together. Um, so on, in the sense of generating income for the children and for the state in general, they've done a very good job. Now, what we don't know, and we don't know the details of, is how much of that actually goes to the children, um, Michael's mother and the wider family. We don't really know that. But all we can say with certainty is that they have exploited Michael's um, um, popularity to an extent where the amount of money coming in is unbelievable. I mean, if you just think of that film... Um, that they did. Uh, I mean, that made an absolute fortune. I mean, all around the world, for instance, there's there's a stage show of Thriller. I mean, it's been on in London here for for about three or four years or or more. And so that is making a fortune. The records that were released, I know there's a controversy over whether Michael was actually singing on them or not. But they have made a fortune. The repackaging of, of his back catalogue, that's made a fortune. The the way the records are still played all over the world, on radio stations, used uh, on TV, etc., that's made a fortune. So I don't think you can fault them in the amount of um, money that they've made. But of course, as I've previously said, what we don't know is whether or not the vast bulk of that has gone to the children and and the mother. And I also don't think that the amount of money they made is the only governing um, piece of information that we can use to decide whether they've done a good job with his posthumous legacy either, because money is not everything. There is, you know, artistic integrity. No, I, I guess you're talking about the legacy issue. And I think that's a matter of opinion. Have they protected Michael's legacy or not? Well, if you could you could make arguments on both sides of that. Some would say yes, some would say no. I mean, he really, the fact of the matter is, Michael Jackson now uh, is probably more popular than he has ever been since before the 1990s, since the days of Thriller and Bad, etc. So in that sense, you could say they have protected his legacy. Well, I would, I but would, on another but level, I would be might, to differ. Mm. Depends also what you just, what you want. Yes, no, how I can, want, I can understand that. Legacy. It depends how you want to define his legacy, because for me, his legacy, that what lives beyond him is what he did between 1958 and 2009. The things that he did within those years that continue to live on are his legacy. And the things that were done and constructed and built and manufactured by other people after he died, that is not Michael Jackson's legacy. That is the legacy of other people. And if if the actions that yeah, those people have undertaken result in products that are not authentic or that do not meet the standards of Michael Jackson's legacy as such, then... No, I think... I think that's a fair enough opinion, Um, and I wouldn't argue with what you're saying. Um, I don't think these things are a simple thing. So, in other words, you know, if you if you look at the merchandising that's taken place, for instance, you know, some would say, you know, that that really is a bit tacky. 
Um, I, I don't think myself that you can come down uh, definitively as, a, as an objective uh, opinion and say they have or they haven't protected his legacy. I think there, there seems to be said on both sides. But I respect what you're saying, and I don't think I could argue with it. We really value your thoughts, Linton. Thank you, thank you so much uh, for being able to offer those uh, amazing insights and answers. I really, really appreciate it. I just want to say as well, uh, not not just as a fan of Michael Jackson, but I got to say I'm a massive fan of you as well as an author. Uh, I recently read your book for the second time. Uh, recently, while I was traveling through Europe, it was with me the whole time. I was reading it on every flight, and uh, I tell you, like it's such an amazing in-depth account of, of everything to do with that catalogue, really, and its origins and and uh, how Sony handled it, how Michael handled it. And I really just want to say to any listeners out there that want to get their hands on a great book, make sure you check out The Trials of, of Michael Jackson. So thank you, Linton, very much for writing it for, for us. Well, you're very, that's a, you're very kind, and I appreciate what you've said. And, uh, you know, I wish you guys all the success um, in, with your project. And... Uh, Keep up the good work, guys. Thank you. Hopefully, hopefully you'll be able to come back on again soon, and we can maybe dedicate a show and have a like a like a Linton guest special where we talk all about the book and how you wrote it and and why you wrote it and and all of that kind of thing. It'll be a privilege on my part. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Linton. It's been a it's a, been a pleasure and an honour, and uh, we really appreciate what you've been able to share with us and our listeners. Okay, it's my pleasure. You take care, guys. You too. All right, there we go. Phone call that we recently recorded with Linton. Excellent to hear from him. What an expert. Great, great book. Make sure you pick up The Trials of Michael Jackson. Uh, it's a great 2006 book. I recently, like I said in the in the recording, I read it twice. And I think I'm going to pick it up and read it again for a third time just to help me process this, this Sony ATV purchase. Q, where, where can people get this book? Of course, they can get it in Amazon. I think it's also on Abe Books. I will have a link uh, directly to the uh, search function for this in Abe Books, which is actually quite a good uh, book website for shipping costs as well. But check our show notes at themjcast.com and you will find a link to be able to get a copy of Linton Guest's book, which is uh, 2006 and then re-released in 2009, The Trials of Michael Jackson. I think it's a very good book and definitely well worth reading and the history of this whole scenario is uh, pretty much right there.
Even in my home, I ain't safe as I should be. Things always missing. Maybe it could be my friends. They ain't friends if they robbing me, stopping me from making the profit. See, apologies, shadow like the ocean. I guess I resort to gun token. If I was dead broke and smoking, I'd probably be by my lonesome. I'm a killer, nigga. I ain't joking. Endo smoke got me choking. I'm hoping my fool comes slipping so I can blow him open. This time around, I changed up my flow. Got rid of the rocks, got picked by the dough. A real set of people's to watch my back. Stay away from strangers so I won't slack. And I know my nigga might like that, baby. This is Diana Walzak, sculptor of the Michael Jackson history statue, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. Okay, we're going to head into the regular news headlines now. That remix you just heard was the This Time Around remix by Dallas Austin, who was actually the producer of the original track as well. That's pretty cool. So I'm going to start off with the news headline with Thriller Studio Tour 2016 has been announced. Now, this is a three-hour tour. It takes you through the locations where Michael Jackson recorded Off the Wall, Thriller, Bad and Dangerous. You can hear from Westlake Studio Engineers and learn how his songs were mixed. It's hands-on as well. You can have a go using the mixing desks, uh, listen to his music in the studio where he recorded them maybe stand in the vocal booths where Michael recorded the vocals and hear stories directly from people that worked there about Michael recording there. That sounds like a pretty awesome tour. Damien, I know you've actually been to Westlake Studio, haven't you? Yeah, I didn't go to the Thriller Studio experience, but I went to the In the Studio with Michael Jackson thing that Brad Sundberg hosted oh, at Westlake. Awesome. So, um so I have been there. West I have Lake stood in the room. Like? Um, well, to me, I, I thought it was a lot smaller than I had envisioned it. I mean, you know, this I envisioned this grandiose kind of venue where Michael Jackson just built the you know the biggest albums in music history. It's the size of the albums and the size of the sales of the albums made me feel like the studio must have been just this huge thing. It was really quite humble. It's a, a very old kind of building there's nothing like super high tech about it it's just on the you know on the side of a like a a little road and there's a footpath and cars driving past and people walking up and down and quite astonishing really to think that people probably didn't realize that you know the world's biggest entertainer was on the other side of that wall you know so many times and recording some of these songs that were going to change the world really cool i got to kind of wander around westlake 
without being guided around there, but they left it all open when Brad had his thing there and you got to go in the mixing room and fiddle with the knobs and you could hear his music in the places that he recorded it and you know, Brad would tell stories. So I've had the experience as such, not the same thing that's being done by Westlake, but I've been in, in the same venue and had the same kind of thing and I can tell you it's it's really kind of special. And just to, to hear his music um, through the speakers and through the, the systems that they were being listened to on in the in the day is is really cool and just being able to just know that hey i'm standing here and michael was standing here <laughs> and it's it's just it's just a kind of cool thing it's i guess it's like going to some of those little um touristy spots where you know michael was here and i'm going to get a photo where michael was and yeah it's it's nice but um where have you done that i've never heard like you've maybe we've spoken many times in the past maybe I, but- like what sort of touristy things have you ever got to do? I didn't bother doing any of them, honestly. When None. I was in, I've been, no, I've been to America twice, both research trips for the book that I'm writing about the, the Casio tracks and the Michael album. And I didn't, I didn't feel drawn to doing the go to Havenhurst and stand outside the gate and get a photo or go to Neverland and, and, and do that whole thing or go to Forest Lawn or go to, Homeby Hills, or I didn't do any of those things. I just didn't feel drawn to. I wouldn't have gone to Westlake if I hadn't have been going there to see Brad's seminars. I wouldn't. I, I'm not really drawn to those kinds of things. I don't know. It's a weird. You know, I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan. I absolutely love the guy, but I'm not. I don't know. I'm just not one of those fans that likes to go and do the sightseeing. You didn't go see the star on the Walk of Fame? Nope, I didn't see it. I was there. I was in Hollywood. Remember when I sent, I think I made a disc for you and Chris maybe of photos of when I went over and saw stuff in, I think, 2009. No, you didn't make that for me. I've never seen it. Okay. You made me a really fantastic soundtrack of Captain EO. Oh, yes. I love it. It's in my car now. Which Jamin hijacked and then held for like four years. <laughs> Ransom. And then tried to get his sister to post to me and then she didn't post it. And it was just <gasps> like I've all of these years had passed until I finally got to hear it. I have heard it now, by the way. Awesome. But cool. it was many, many years in the making. <laughs> and for listeners that are listening, that soundtrack we're talking about, the awesome Captain EO Experience soundtrack is available for free and right now on uh, epcotlegacy.com. Amazing, awesome Disney music stuff that I love. Nerd tweet. Uh. <laughs> Jamin, what do you think about the uh, this year's Thriller Tour, another awesome tour of Westlake? Yeah, it's really cool. I'd love to be able to do that kind of thing in the future. I've never gone to the United States myself, but one day when I do go there, I'd love to to visit some of these locations, including where Michael recorded. You know, especially if they're doing events there. It's one thing just to go somewhere and be like, oh, Michael was here. But to actually go to an event where the people that worked with Michael are there talking, uh, it's it's got to be really special. So, yeah, hopefully one day I get the opportunity to do it. I think fans that are in these locations where they happen all the time are really, really lucky because living out in Australia, it's pretty rare that we get anything like this at all. So, yeah, go to it if you can. And you mentioned uh, before, Damien, you saw the uh, Brad Sundberg seminar at Westlake. Well, there's actually just been more details around Brad Sundberg's MJU multi-day seminar Uh, That, of course, is coming up. It's in uh, June, so it starts Monday 
the 20th of June at 11 a.m. And it goes through till Thursday, June 23, 7 p.m. Jamin, did you want yep. to tell us a little bit about that? Or Damien? Yeah, well, I've been. I've been to Brad Sun- Sunberg's um, seminars, like I just explained, um, at Westlake. And um, I can definitely say that for any fan that hasn't yet been to it, and even if you have been to it, um, you've got to go. It's just absolutely incredible. If it's within your means to get there, I would absolutely recommend it. What's so wonderful about Brad is obviously his wealth of knowledge from the period of time that he was in Michael's life, which was, was an 18-year period from the mid-'80s, just before the Bad album, to I think the early 2000s around that period, his wealth of knowledge and his ability to retain and, and recall the stories with such detail and actually be able to be a good storyteller as well and make you feel like you were there in the moment, it's just absolutely invaluable. And that's even without even him playing you any music or material. You could listen to him tell these stories on their own and it's worth the price of admission. It's absolutely fantastic. And being that Brad kind of came into Michael's life and career after the Off the Wall and Thriller projects and then left the studio situation because he still worked for Michael um, in a Neverland capacity beyond the Invincible album, but he didn't, he didn't continue to work in the studio with Michael through like the Invincible album and those things. So he's got people involved with the seminar that were before his time and after his time to fill the gaps. So you get a complete spanning, career spanning, solo career spanning idea of what what it was like to be in the studio with Michael Jackson. And he's just got some absolutely fantastic personnel to come in and tell their stories and fill the gaps that he wasn't there for. And it's just absolutely brilliant. Um, and it seems that his guest list is just continuing to grow. People understand um, fans understand, but obviously people who worked with Michael understand what a good product that Brad's putting together and people just seem to be flocking to it and wanting to contribute to it and make it even stronger and bigger and better. And I just hope at some point that, you know, if there's you're talking about projects that the estate are putting together and, um, you know, they've done things like different albums and different video projects and, you know, touring shows like Cirque du Soleil and things like that. I mean, if the estate with, their ability to give a massive platform to something could give a platform to something like Brad Sundberg's in the studio with Michael Jackson seminars. I think that would just be perfect because it's literally like going to Michael Jackson's school for days and days. It's just, you can't learn that stuff anywhere else. You could read books, you can do this and you can do that, but sitting in the room with the guy who was there and he's telling you the story personally, you can ask him a question. You can't ask a question in a book can't ask a question watching a documentary, but when you're in the room and these guys giving you his time and opening his entire life up to you and his experiences and the people that he was working with and the people that Michael was working with and this big family of Michael Jackson experts, it's just, I mean, I could ramble on all day and I just, just about have just now about how wonderful it is, but it's, yeah, almost can't put words to it. It's just so fantastic. Anyone who has yeah. the opportunity to go needs to go. So good. Looks really exciting. This is actually a four-day seminar running from Monday, June 20th 
to Thursday, June 23rd. Uh, Day one is a full seminar of In the Studio with MJ, I guess the original show that he tours around. Uh, But in addition to that, there's three more days. So day two is all about the early years. Off the wall, thriller, bad. You're going to hear from the engineers and songwriters and production teams that worked on uh, those albums. Day three is called On Tour with Michael, where you're going to learn all about Life on the Road, from some of the musicians and team members who brought the bad, dangerous, and history tours to cities all over the planet. Day four is the one that I'm most interested in, even though I won't be able to go. But if I could go, this is the one I'd be most interested for. It's called The Lady Years, and it's all about dangerous, history, invincible, and blood on the dance floor. Again, you hear from the musicians and production teams involved. The guest list is phenomenal. Not only do you have Brad Sunderberg, an absolute expert and uh, Michael's technical director for a very long period of time. You've also got Brad Buxer, Brian Vibbits, Jerry Hay, Michael Prince, Sam Sims, Rob Hoffman, Matt Forger. You've got a lot of people there who are going to share their expertise around Michael Jackson and what they what they what they did with him. It looks like a great great seminar and I just I just wish I could go. Of course, we've uh, had friend of the show, Brad Sunberg, on the show. He was on episode 15. That was an awesome episode. Uh, sadly, you weren't with us that episode, Jamin. Dan Vigilobos helped us out with that one. <laughs> I was in mission control. You were in mission control, and Lord knows we're very appreciative of that. It was great. <laughs> so thank you. But, yeah, listeners, if you are just tuning into the MJ cast for maybe the first time, head back to episode 15 and hear from friend of the show brad sunberg it was a really great chat and uh yeah he's an awesome guy and yeah if you're in in the neighborhood of mju enroll delighted to have with us one of america's youngest institutions five of our very favorite people who in fact are doing us the honor of letting us celebrate with them their 10th anniversary in show business a great welcome gang for the jacksons If you remember these songs, I never can say goodbye. Don't wait for me. I never can say goodbye. Even though the pain and heartaches seem to follow me wherever I go, though I try and strike to have my feet since they always seem to show. Then you try to say you live with me, and I always never say no. Tell me why.
Hi, this is Janneke and you're listening to the MJ Cast. If you're after a leading magazine on all things Michael Jackson and the Jackson family, check out Jackson Source. Jackson Source publishes Jackson Magazine annually and it offers a full retrospect of the previous year covering all the news, highlights and events of the first and next generation of Jacksons in the form of articles, interviews, photos, categories and exclusive contributions from Jackson family members. The 2015 edition of Jackson Magazine is now available and features articles about the message in Michael's music, the legacy of the Jackson 5, exclusive interviews with Tito, Jermaine, Taj, Terrell and TJ, as well as exclusive pictures of Tito, Jermaine, Jafar and Your Majesty, and loads more. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at JacksonSource. Thank you. Thank you. So we've got some other news headlines that we're going to wrap the show up with before we do our usual thank yous. So Janet Jackson has sadly cancelled Unbreakable World Tour shows, uh, European and I think 12 US tour dates. There's been speculation about who's cancelled them, why they've been cancelled, but uh, Janet has released a little audio statement. I know via Instagram and Twitter, I believe that I saw them where she said that she would try and reschedule those at the earliest opportunity. There was also speculation about a new video shoot for Damn Baby with, I think, a few Instagram photos from a set with dancers and other workers. So hopefully, yeah, oh, my God, it's one of the best songs on the whole awesome album. I don't know, maybe publicity or something who knows i don't know i know that she's performing in dubai very very soon at the uh dubai world cup horse race but yeah so those that have got to see the tour so far uh, i've heard awesome things and i hope that the tour gets back on the road asap and especially down to australia and new zealand i think that would be awesome Definitely. It's really sad to hear that some of these shows have been cancelled. You know, there's a lot of speculation. Some of it's about health. Some of it's about sales. Who knows what's really going on? Uh, But I just hope the show can get back on the road in as strong form as possible. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if this is going to be her last tour. I've also heard rumours that she was only ever going to do one more tour. It was going to be as, as big as this one. And that was her bowing out of the performance industry. And I just I just hope that's not the case. It'd be great to see Janet tour on as long as she wants to. But I just, yeah, I just hope she's she's well. And I hope this tour continues to go strong as long as she wants it to. So, Damien, what do you think about the Janet cancelling world tour shows? I think it's a shame. I think it's an absolute shame. I think she's one of, the, one of history's greatest performers, one of the biggest legends that music's ever seen. And the fact that it appears, from what I can gauge, to be a ticket sales issue... Um, it's just devastating for Janet. I mean, even if you look at, like, the views of her YouTube videos that she puts up or anything, people are not paying attention to Janet Jackson. She hasn't got many subscribers. She doesn't get a great deal of social media attention on, like, Twitter and things like that. And I just think it's a travesty that there are some of these contemporary pop stars that have millions and millions and millions of people's eyes on them and they're not even doing anything interesting and you've got one of the biggest, most important female pop performers in history taking a show which is jam-packed with some of the most important 
pop hits we've seen, plus a bunch of new songs from a new album, which is actually really, really good, much better than what some of the other trash that current contemporary pop stars are putting out. And people aren't going to see it. It's I, I, It baffles me. It's unbelievable to me that, that this could be the situation that she's in. And um, I just hope that, that I am right that it is a ticket sales issue because if it's her health, then that's devastating for Janet. And nobody wants to see Janet um, not doing as well as she could be in her health because, as we've seen with Michael, the hindsight of the whole tour health situation is that we would much rather have no tour and Michael than we would have Michael try and go on tour and look what happened. So fingers crossed that Janet does whatever is best for Janet and it's just a shame if it's tickets that, you know, we love Janet and Janet's huge, Janet's massive. She's very important in history and I wish today's um, people would just get behind her and actually go and see what she's all about because this generation could do with a bit of Janet. Your magical leak, Jamin? A new leak for a change and ghosts for a change. We've had a lot of ghost leaks coming out in the last few weeks and here's another one and this one's pretty spectacular. It's one of the fa- my favourite ones that I've seen come out. I think we had a few weeks ago there was like a few second one that came out of like an alternate ad lib that no one had heard before. Uh, but this is a proper full length sort of leak of the song Too Bad. And it actually goes for quite a while. I think, I can't remember how many minutes, but it's a good watch. It's like six minutes or something like that. And it's an actual rough cut of, of the song Too Bad. And there's a lot of different angles in there that aren't actually in the uh, final 1997 Ghosts film uh, that was shown in theaters and then eventually put onto VHS and Laserdisc. But... Yeah, there's some there's some interesting uh, angles. There's even some dance moves that aren't in the original version either that I picked up on. It's a it's like that Captain EO story that we covered either one or two episodes ago about that rough cut of Captain EO. It's very similar to that. It's 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 really I think in the early sort of editing stages of putting this sequence together. Uh, but it's it's really interesting to watch nonetheless. Q, I know you're a huge Ghosts fan. What did you think of this leak? Yeah, I wouldn't have called it phenomenal. I think the interesting thing for me was seeing the rough edit of it, such as the Captain EO one we discussed um, and the like, the Dirty Diana alternate version. It was interesting oh, seeing, yeah. seeing just a rough little put together. Yeah, it was cool seeing the new moves and a few new angles. Uh, I think the interesting thing for me was sort of even the music was like a rough version for some of it. It was like a sort of a temp track. But, yeah, it was okay. I think the most spectacular ghost leak really has been the uh, 1993 version of the film, the early version of the film that, that was first filmed that came out. For me, that yeah. was the the holy grail of ghost leak, which, uh, again, would make perfect special features on a uh, Ghosts Blu-ray release, which we're still waiting for. But, yeah, <laughs> Damien, did you have a chance to have a quick look at this one? Or is it lost uh, in the, my the on wealth? This news item. No, I didn't see this one. This is one I have not looked at, unfortunately. I'm sorry, so I can't really talk about it, but it sounds interesting. I'm definitely going to look at it once we wrap the show up. There's a cool little move in there where he's, like, got his... um. He, like, makes a little ring with his thumb and index finger and sort of puts it over his right eye and is, like, kind of looking through it, peering at someone. It's like a dance move that isn't in the um final version, which I thought was really cool. Well, the last three news stories, 
The headlines are about Bubbles, Jermaine, and LaToya. So we'll start with Bubbles. We discussed, I think it was late last year, a film company was going to be putting a movie together about Bubbles the Chimp from Bubbles' perspective, I guess, living the life, touring with Michael, living with Michael. So, yeah, apparently it's going to be a stop-motion film. So that's about all we know about it at this point. I don't know. This could go either way. It could be an absolute awful mess. Or it could be something really funny and heartwarming. Thank goodness it's stop motion. Um, yeah, I guess that'll be interesting to see. Like, especially if it was good quality, like box trolls or something like that. I, I think I've said it before. I just cannot ever picture Michael Jackson um, ever really being portrayed effectively on film. Like, he's just such a unique individual in history and i'm just really glad they're taking a more stylized artistic approach to this film and making it stop motion uh it it should be really interesting to watch i like the idea of michael being like a secondary sort of character in in the movie almost like a background character and it's really about bubbles living in this crazy world that michael's a part of uh so i've got i've got now that i know it's stop motion i've kind of got some high hopes for this movie and i think it could be funny and entertaining so, Jermaine set a new world record of most jewels on a functioning <laughs> guitar. He was at the oh, Basel. He was at the Basel World 2016 uh, Jewelry Expo. I think it is. It's where all uh, jewelry manufacturers and designers it's like come and exhibit all of their uh, jewelry lines and new things. And while he was there, he set this world record by playing Let's Get Serious for three minutes on the Bejeweled Guitar. But while he was there, he also did uh, launch his own line of uh, Jermaine Jackson's fine jewellery with uh, three lines, actually. And, um, yeah, there's some nice stuff in the in the jewellery collection that he's releasing. Look, I'm just going to preface my comments on this by saying that I love Jermaine. I think he's really talented. I've seen him live as part of the Jacksons when they were down here in Australia a couple of years ago. Um, and I'm a big fan of Jermaine, but I've got to say that this this bejeweled guitar business and the playing let's get serious for three minutes and being in Guinness Book of World Records is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It's the stupidest world record. I have no, paid any attention to the thing. It is. I would rather see Jermaine Jackson smash watermelons with his forehead. That would be more interesting to me as a world record <laughs> attempt than a guitar player playing a guitar that just has some jewels glued to it. It's a shameless prank to promote his jewelry business and i think it's silly i just it doesn't interest me personally my opinion i'm not interested in seeing jermaine jackson play a guitar covered in jewels i would rather see him smash watermelons with his forehead for a world record attempt that's just me personally just putting it out there q what do you think you you like the world record attempt though q well i'd rather see a guitar player and singer doing something, you know, with his guitar than, you know, eating 57,000 sausage rolls through his ear hole or something to, like... <laughs> <laughs> no, give me the sausage rolls any day. So... Man, putting it out I, there, putting it out to you. If you could eat 57,000 sausage rolls through your ear holes, I'll tune in. No, like, <laughs> I thought it was... In context, world record. That'll be enough to bring me back Jermaine. to Twitter. <laughs> I'll reactivate. I, I, I will sign back up to Facebook if Jermaine Jackson does a world record attempt like that. <laughs> Particularly, like I said, the watermelons on the forehead. 
I want sausage rolls I'm for dinner. Like, I'm hungry as, and now I want sausage rolls. <laughs> oh, goodness, this show gets off topic sometimes. <laughs> I love it. The oh. survey says, survey says, that they actually love when we go off topic and talk about sausage Do people things. around the world know what sausage rolls are? Okay, or so that- no, they, no, they don't. Because uh, right. recently I read an article, or it was last year I read it, that someone was doing sausage rolls in America and it was people were flipping out over sausage rolls. So, no. Okay. We'll have to put a, maybe we'll a link, put a link to to the, in the show notes to what a sausage roll is. Yeah, bloody yummy. I'm going to put a picture of a big, juicy, nice sausage roll right in the show with notes. Sauce. For you guys to, with sauce. Tomato sauce all over that bad oh. boy. Yum. If, they, <laughs> if it ain't a Mrs. Max, take it back. Do people even know what tomato sauce is? Ketchup. It's like ketchup. Yeah. No, they're different. Ketchup's thick and What do you mean they're different? Juicy. Okay. They're different. Ketchup's different. Tomato sauce. You go down the co- sauce aisle in Coles, they're two different things, dude. They've got yeah. I swear my tomato ketchup sauce tomato has ketchup sauce. on it. Mine does. Mine says ketchup. I think in Australia they've become the same thing. Overseas it might be different, but in Australia it's become the same thing. I think. I'm telling you, they're different in Coles. If you go to the you go to Heinz section, Heinz yeah. sell tomato sauce and ketchup. Ketchup's thicker. I Trust can't. Me, I've never I'd had, be able to maybe I've it. never had tomato sauce. Oh maybe. my god! You're not a real Australian. I'm not an Aussie. <laughs> what the hell's going on here? Last news story of this week, LaToya Jackson features in a new duet. The song title is Tehran, and she duets with Iranian singer Andy Matadian. Now, I think, and I hope I'm not offending anyone, is the name of the language maybe Farsi that she's singing in? I'm not sure, and I'm probably pronounced Andy's name as well. But anyway, I really liked it. It was really cool. It was really awesome to hear uh, LaToya singing so well what I thought in this other language. And, yeah, it's a good, fun song. I think, you know, merging cultures, merging music. LaToya looks just fabulous and amazing. Like, it's LaToya doing what she does best, arriving at a premiere, stepping out of a, a car. There's, um, you know, paparazzi there. She's in a beautiful gown. She looks absolutely stunning. So the link will be in the show notes. Check out Tehran with Andy Matadian. Guys, have you watched it? What did you think? Jamin? I'm watching it right now. I've actually seen it before as well. It looks great. It's actually shot really well. It's really colorful. I love how many how much color there is going on. She's on some kind of like disco floor, uh, yeah. which is like lit up in all different colors. It looks great. But she, like honestly, the, the thing about this video that is so striking is how good LaToya Jackson looks. She looks fantastic. She's She looks so happy uh, and her hair is amazing. She's got that Charlie's Angels hair going on. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's great. It's great to see LaToya just just happy and performing. It's really cool. No massive. This is officially a refugee camp remix. Home with it. Right back where I wanna be. Telling that you're doing wrong. No massive and But I shock it all alone. You ain't done enough for me. You ain't done enough for me. You are this 
John Forte like a major holiday. Uh, I met with MJ in the ranch in Santa, Santa Fe. Fe. Floating till I'm seasick, the hottest on the remix. Blast of a craft while I laugh at your V6. T double O B A to the D. You just double A, small time battery buffet. You can't eat off the floors we been. Bird life to power lunches at the four seasons. Too bad. Hey, this is Brad Sundberg, studio engineer and technical director for Michael Jackson and host of In the Studio with MJ. You're listening to the MJ cast. So that was the refugee camp mix of the song Too Bad. You can hear that track on Michael's remix album, Blood on the Dance Floor. Nearly at the end of the show, Q. We are been a uh, good show i have to say it's gone well recording's gone well the audio's gone very well tonight yeah yeah it's been fun talking about all these different uh, topics the sony atv one like i say coming into this show doing prep for it a little bit nervous because it's a uh, probably the most controversial topic that we've come across since we started the mj cast i think um i think that and neverland neverland yeah for sure you probably yeah. would have got a rant out of me for that one as well. So <laughs> the best rant, the best Q rant we've got has got to be the Cirque, the one album yeah, or I lack thereof. To top that. <laughs> imagine if we, imagine if we did a show back in 2010 when the Michael album came out, it would have been just a whole rant. We just would have titled the show rant. No, I was in tears when that played. <laughs> I was we were all like in forums and stuff and then like it was streaming live and as soon as it started i was literally in tears and i thought oh my god all of the jacksons were right everything they said was right this is not even him and i just knew from then it was just going to be like a real huge struggle and it was going to be this awful awful just era of just awfulness and yeah 
Like we're totally anyway, right. So yeah, that We've wasn't going to be a rant. Before. We've covered that. We talked about it a lot today. Shall we uh, do some nice stuff now? I've got some people we should say thank you to. Yeah, me too. All right, you you go first. Well, I got a couple of people. I really want to thank Lynn Tyler uh, at L Y N E T Y L E R Lynn Tyler on Twitter. Uh, just I've loved how much you've engaged with us over the past couple of weeks on Twitter. Thank you so much. Make sure you keep Michaeling. Also, Meza at Merrill nineteen eighty one M E R Y L. 1981 i've just loved your tweets as well keep them coming we love every week hearing from our audience on um on twitter so thank you and i'd like to say thanks to humbled in your grace at annie underscore is underscore not underscore okay thank you very much annie is not okay humbled in your grace and of course Carly, thank you. I know that you're going to be in probably, you know, a day's time when this is live, live tweeting this for everyone. So head over to MJ is my golden boy and check out Carly's live tweets of the episode. Yeah. And join in. It's always great when live tweeting and people join in. Also, big thanks to Ori Diax and Jim, Jacob and our web assistant, Jacob, actually, and Jermaine DeVores for helping out with the little damn Michael hashtag that we had going on the other week. That was good fun. So thank you, boys. Also, Paulie D, thank you for launching your website, michaeljacksonaustralia.com. It's pretty cool for Aussie and New Zealand fans. Uh, go check that out, michaeljacksonaustralia.com. There's a link in the show notes, or you can type that in yourself. And, uh, yeah, a little bit of history about Michael in pictures and things like that from when he was in these countries. Uh, last thank you is at Junior Pyburn Glenn. That's at J-R-P-Y. B U R N Glenn. Thanks for the news heads up. You are pretty quick whenever there's like a big breaking news story of letting us know about it. And also I think we both want to thank uh, Leanna Norquest as well. Leanna drops in uh, news when we need it as well. And um, Leanna, it's great that you're tweeting and interacting with us as well. So thank you. We got a few emails. We can say thanks for as well. Jamin. Yeah, we just want to say thanks again to Carly Swan, Sarah Blackley, Karen Kaufman, David Manley, and Sandy O'Brien. And a special thank you to John Mulholland. John, get well soon after your badly broken ankle. Ouch, my eyes were watering. Um, but we, we wish you a speedy and full recovery. Honestly, not sure and mighty embarrassed about missing you in December. Not surely, yeah. not really sure how we managed that, actually. I feel bad but, about that. Yeah, but big Michael love to you now, sir. Get well soon. We loved your recent email, and I wanted to share this little bit of it, if that's okay, Jamin. Absolutely. Yeah, so he was writing, telling us about his broken ankle, and he says... I'm still in a cast now, but hopefully I am on the road to a full recovery. On the plus side, I've been off work weeks now and making memories with my two young daughters. As much pain as I was in when you see your three-year-old daughter stand in front of you and try her hardest to sing Thriller, it's impossible not to smile. Cute. Mega so cute. cute. <laughs> I love when we see little kids doing the Michael stuff. I hope you get well soon, John. While you're in the cast, you're going to be able to listen to the MJ cast. 
Oh, dude, that's such a dad <laughs> joke. Oh, Woo, how was that? How that was, was that? Really, was a good joke. I like that. That was bad. <laughs> I don't well, know. They draw Michael Jackson either. on the cast. It will be the MJ cast. The literal yeah. MJ cast. Love it. <laughs> God, Jamin. All right. Well, that is uh, episode twenty-seven in the can. Done. Happy Easter, everyone. Guys, have a great Happy Easter. Easter. I can't wait to see the Easter tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. World's okay. first Easter tree. I'm Easter. checking hashtags on Instagram right now for Easter well, tree. I don't yeah. reckon it exists. <laughs> I've sent you a picture as a text message. It's coming through. Hey, Q. Yeah? How do people find this out about fun. us? Oh, you always spring that. When there I don't is have no that. hashtag <laughs> on the entire Instagram for Easter tree. Well, there will be now. You're going to be the <laughs> first. Start. You are going to be the first. <laughs> how funny. All right. How can people find us? We are at the mjcast.com. And from there, you can find everything that I'm going to tell you about right now anyway. So let me scroll down. Oh, get your stuff together, social guy. Come I was on. too busy. I was too busy texting you a photo of the Easter tree. Did you there get it? There are 657,000 pictures on Instagram of Xmas tree. X M A S tree. <laughs> but zero of Easter tree. You will be the first. <laughs> History will be made tonight on the MJ cast when Q uploads <laughs> his Easter tree and hashtags Easter tree. He will be the first. Go to hashtag Easter tree to see Q's Easter tree. <laughs> There's my world record. Sorry, Jermaine. It's the I've only one. <laughs> <laughs> no saucy drolls, but I've got an Easter tree. There are 616 hashtag watermelon smash posts, but no Easter tree posts. 616 pictures of something that relates to the hashtag watermelon smash. So even if Jermaine had done that, he wouldn't have been the first, but Q, you will be the first for Easter Tree. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Back to the MJ Cast. Okay, back to where you can find us. So, themjcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can search for the hashtag Easter Tree, apparently. Uh, as the MJ Cast, we're over at Tumblr, themjcast.tumblr.com. We're over at YouTube, just search the MJ Cast. And email us, like lots of other people did, which we just thanked, over at themjcast at iCloud.com. Subscribe. It's for free on iTunes. And, Jamin, you've got some news about Stitcher. Oh, yeah. We well, we haven't been approved yet. So Yes. We, so didn't you check, your, you check your email? We've been approved, buddy. There's when some did we breaking get approved? News. There's some breaking news for you right there, brother. It came in oh, yesterday. Dude, that's awesome. We're on Stitcher. Yeah, okay, I don't cool. know what Stitcher is, but congratulations. Hey, let me ex- let me explain it. Okay, so this is really cool. Um, I'm only just finding this out now, actually. But Stitcher is a um, multi-platform podcast application. So as you know, iTunes is only on Apple devices. Stitcher is an application for podcasts that's everywhere. It's on Android, Windows, Apple, wherever you go. So if you're someone who uses Stitcher Radio. Make sure you uh, search the MJ cast on there because we're now there. It's kind of exciting. So what does this mean for people listening to us on like a mobile device or like a tablet, that kind of thing? 
Stitcher's fame is called Stitcher, I think, because of the way that it pieces together different podcast episodes into one listening experience. So how it kind of works is if you're listening on a mobile device and you're in your car or you're jogging, listening on earphones, Stitcher will, when it finishes one podcast, it, it just kind of puts another one right on the end to make playlists. So... Yeah, enjoy the MJ cast on Stitcher. I'm, I'm really, really excited to get feedback from people that are listening on Stitcher to tell tell us what the experience is like there with the MJ cast to see if we can improve anything at all. So, yeah, bring the feedback on. Well, there you go. Congratulations on Stitcher. All right. So, Damien, where can people find you? People can't find me. I deleted my Facebook. I don't use Twitter anymore. I'm sorry. You can't find me. What about DamienShields.com? Uh, I haven't posted there for like nine months or more. Something like nine or ten months I haven't posted there. I've just taken a break from it. I hope you're not going to shut the site down. It's amazing. It's like the best resource out there for uh, for information on Michael's unreleased music and some of the, you know, the HBO special. There's some great stuff there. I'm not going to shut the site down, but I'm not going to be putting new content on there, not at least for a, a very long time. I just I want to do it properly when I do it, and I haven't been – kind of channeling enough energy into those areas. So I just felt that it was better to just not do anything until I was going to do it properly. The same thing with the with the research and the writing and all of those things. So, yeah, still on hi- hiatus from the website, still not on Facebook, still not using Twitter. So, sorry. But you, but you do still love MJ. Oh, my God, more than ever. Like I said, I've rediscovered him and my love for him has never been stronger. I, I Michael more now in my private time than I ever have before. I think I've watched the live in Bucharest concert on DVD at least maybe 60 times this year already, <laughs> like every second day. Like I'm talking wow. from start to finish the whole thing. Yeah. You know there's but others on YouTube. I just really like it. I go, I'm, in, I'm in a mood for it. I think it's just really good. <laughs> I really enjoy it. That's not the only thing I've been looking at or like listening to. Um, but yeah. All in my private time. None of it's being done on the internet anymore. So I'm still Michaeling. I still love Michael. Michaeling more than ever. Don't worry about my love for Michael. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm just not social, social mediaing anymore. Okay, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in to episode 27 of the MJ Cast. Happy Easter. Have an extra. Wonderful, extra long weekend. Ah ha ha. Um, so yeah. <laughs> but thank you, everyone, and Michael on. Keep Michaeling. Eat your ticket. <laughs> okay, cool. Makes no sense, nice. but whatever. I like it a lot. Sorry, I, was, I watched Moonwalker the other day and it, it was in my head. What did you think? Do you like Moonwalker? When was the last time I you really here, sat down? This, this is a story. I, I watched Moonwalker with um, 
my housemate Steve, who's the artist who actually did the the cover art for the Escape Origins book, um, and he came in my room like a, a week or two ago, and he was like, "Oh, Damo, do you want to watch Moonwalker?" And I was like, hmm, "Okay." Uh, and he's a, he's a pretty big MJ fan as well. He absolutely loves Michael, um, but he said he hadn't seen Moonwalker since he was a kid, and he wanted to. He said, "I want to." see if it's as magical now as it was when I was a kid because my memories are of, you know, Michael transforming into a car and he's he's doing all these great, wonderful things, but it really made no sense. So I want to see if it actually makes any sense as an adult. Um, and I just kind of giggled and I was like, yeah, sure, let's watch it. And so we put it on and, of course, there's just Michael mania going on left, right and center. None of it makes any sense. Um, <laughs> there's just another really cool thing Michael's doing and it makes no sense. And we're just watching and watching and watching and just throughout the whole thing, like it's a, it's just like a big long series of music videos played back to back that almost have no connection to each other. Um, but at the end of it, Steve was just, he was just like in absolute awe. It was really cool. He kind of just said, Oh man, like it's just unbelievable that one human being can be born with all of that talent. Like, the ridiculous amount of talent, like so much talent that no one can ever be that talented again. Like it's only going to happen once. It's literally like you'll never, ever be able to find an entertainer who has all of those different talents on the level that his talent was. It's never going to happen again. And I just thought that was really cool from someone um, who is a fan who loves Michael Jackson, but isn't a fan the same way that we are, you know, talk about him all the time, go on a podcast, write a book, you know, all those things that we do, we obsess about Michael a little bit. Um, and it just, it was really cool to hear it coming from just a, a standard kind of casual, passive fan, just appreciating how freaking incredible this guy was and, and just explaining it to me. And I'm just like, yeah, I know. But like, <laughs> it was, it was just, it was really cool. It's cool that other people recognize that. They don't have to be fans in the way that we are, but people get it. People see it and people just really, really relate to it the talent that Michael had and appreciate it. It's really cool. So <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. That is Just awesome. And yeah, Moonwalker, is, yeah. Moonwalker is such a cool movie to watch. It's such good fun still. And he turns into the coolest transformer. And then what does he do, <laughs> Jamin? Do you remember what he does? He um gets he laser. He laser hoed his ass. <laughs> yeah, he laser hoed. He laser Oh. He was literally all the he was literally all of the superheroes before they existed. Like, yeah, he was kick ass. That was, was one of the first uh, DVDs I gave to like my nephews, and I think um, how old's Rio now? He'd be about four or something. Yeah, apparently that he sits and watches bits of Moonwalker and stuff. How old is Transformers as an actual thing? Oh, like. Early eighties. Early eighties, yeah. So Michael would have been inspired by Transformers. Well, actually, no. Yes. We know the story you know, behind we, that. We know the story. It's a great story. It was actually the three T boys that loved Transformers so much, and Michael's like, "Oh, okay. Well, hello, making a movie. Turn me into a Transformer." Taj uh, told us that. Yeah, how cool is that? Was that in the show? I listened to the Taj show. Ta- Taj Jackson told us that live on the MJ cast. Well, I listened we'll put to a, the Taj Jackson, so was it, I must have missed that. Got to go back and re-listen, dude. Yeah, a, I don't know how I missed it. It's an awesome episode. Taj Jackson episode was great. Yes. 
Yeah, we want to get another Jackson back on. How cool would that be? Fingers yeah, crossed. Come on, season two. If you could have any Jackson, who would you have? <laughs> Look, I'm going to say, honestly, Randy. I would love to have a chat with Randy and just hear, because I know he's he's out of all the Jacksons, he's the one that really has his head on right when talking about the estate and all the, the goings on at the estate. And I just I would love to just get him on the record talking about his thoughts on the, on the Michael Jackson estate and Sony Music and you know that's especially this personally. week, especially and, this week. And yeah, you obviously would want Latoya for sure. Oh, yeah. That would be the funnest episode ever. I reckon it'd be awesome. Yeah, but, she's adorable. It'd be hilarious. No, that would be cool. Who who would you want to hear from, Damien? Um, if I could interview any Jackson, it would be Catherine. I think she's by far oh, the most yes. important Jackson. Um, yeah. Um, but if, if you want to talk about one of the performing Jacksons, I would probably choose Janet. For sure. But I would only choose Janet if she was willing to be transparent because she's very sweet and very careful with what she says. Um, she's entitled to be. She's still got an active career that she needs to kind of keep rolling. But I would love a completely transparent, open honest interview with Janet Jackson. I think she has a lot of interesting things that she could say that perhaps no journalist has ever asked her before. Um, And I think that's the big challenge with getting interesting stuff out of Jackson people is that the journalist gets a Jackson in front of them and there are so many obvious tabloid questions to ask and we don't really go for the really interesting stuff that, you know, people like you and I would really love to hear. And I think that Janet would be, just this wealth of just interesting answers if she would be willing to be completely transparent with those answers. I'd love to hear um, about Janet's sort of early career, like, you know, yeah. early music stuff back when she was on the, like, the Jackson's Variety Show and things like that. And then she if was I being was... managed by Joe for a bit too. Yeah. She was, like even... she was also managed by John, McCl- uh, John McClain. Mm. One of go. the executives, yeah. Yeah, um, well, was, he was responsible for really putting her on the superstar level that she got to in the in the mid eighties, and then bigger and bigger and bigger as it, as it went on. But yeah, he's he's the guy. That'd be so. super interesting. And to talk to any of the Jackson brothers about their careers, about you know Jackson Five career, about like learning at Motown, and then about transitioning into you know adulthood and changing music types and new technology and inspirations and songwriting like any of the jackson brothers hearing about something like that would be absolutely incredible you get like a tiny glimpse of it in the off the wall documentary and i think yeah jackie, jackie and marlon speak really well about that stuff like yeah they totally I was a bit, do i was when i heard that they were the two jacksons that were going to be in there i was kind of like uh, but you know janet and randy are the ones that are on the demos and it would be kind of cool to hear from them instead but Marlon and Jackie were really, really good. On, They're a good the team pod. together when they're interviewing, actually. There's another video that's just come up this week, actually, where they're doing an interview together. And, yeah, they just interview so well together. Yeah, they do. Hmm. Well, mm-hmm. we can hope. Fingers crossed. Well, yeah. I'm going to go laser hoed your asses. Love you so much, brothers. I am starving. And I have a feeling that the hubs has just got pizza delivered. So hopefully there's still some left for me because it smells really good. 